0: It's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast.
1: Hey, this is a rock and roll museum. You guys don't belong in here. <laughs> They ranted, they fainted, their eyes were glassy, some pulled their hair out, some tore their dresses. They threw notes of a very uh, undesirable nature on the stage. I'll tell you all about it.
0: Welcome to Long Play. A podcast where nerds rock out
2: with their Spock out. In 1953, Ian Fleming introduced the world to a fictional British secret service agent named Bond, James Bond, who had a style that is unparalleled by anyone. The character has been adapted for television, radio, comics, video games, and, most importantly, film. Dr. No, the first movie in a franchise that continues to date, premiered in 1962. That film featured the James Bond theme, written by Monty Norman and performed by the John Barry Orchestra, which has become one of the single most recognizable musical pieces, forever creating a connection between the character of Bond and the music featured in each movie. Through all the movies, we've seen highs and lows, Today on Long Clay, we look at the music from this incredible series of movies. Hello everybody, I'm Paul Spataro, the M of Back to the Bins. And to join me on this musical journey, I thought it would be best to seek out a roguish Brit with class and charm, but Steve Lacey wasn't available.
1: <laughs> so,
2: so I welcome my very good friend, Mr. Andy Leyland.
3: Hello the M. What have you got for me today?
2: Uh, I have for you, the Felix Leiter of our broadcast, Mr. Luke, Jack, and Eddie.
0: Yay! Hopefully I won't get uh, run into somebody that ate me, so or
3: disagree with something that ate me. <laughs> We're not going to feed to the sharks. No. Hopefully not.
2: <laughs> that was so mean when they did that.
3: It was, it was, you know,
0: what can you do? Yeah, well, I mean, in the books, it was alligators. So I, I guess I, you know, with uh, so it was a step up. Is that it was a what you step said? up, in this, yeah, I mean, you know, in, inflation and all that from when uh, <laughs> the book *Live and Let Die* was written to when the movie *License to Kill* happened. But any, penny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So, as we we were just saying, this is effectively long play doing a sequel to our sh- stirred not shaken podcast of what is that is that three years ago four years ago
3: something like that yeah and it's an unusual long play as well they normally look at one cohesive album we're looking at something completely different although it has it has all been released on one album hasn't it Mm -hmm. yeah
0: there there is that cheat available and the 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 stirred not shaken episode came out i want to say it was right before skyfall so we're already at the next film in the series by the time we've done the follow-up yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> unless, it was a,
2: unless it was when Quantum of Solace came out. <laughs> no.
3: No, I think I think it was for the 50th that we did it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was because... It, if, uh, if, yeah. if you haven't heard that lovely listener, go and listen to it, because I think it's one of the best things I've ever been involved with. It was great fun, and we really need to finish him off one day. Yeah, yeah
2: well, if, if my memory is correct, we started with Dr. No, and we made our way through the Roger Moore years. I think we stopped... Yeah. We, we haven't done Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, or Daniel Craig yet. If that's
0: if correct, my yeah.
2: my memory is right. So, yeah, we do need to, well, we'll have to, you know, get Mr. Gardner going because he was the fourth of our group. <laughs> but, yeah, we've been talking about doing this for months now. If we had yeah, done this I one, think, we were talking about it, we I would not you, we, we would be one song shy of what we have now. Anyway.
3: <laughs> I think you suggested this a year ago easily.
2: And it, it took a while for us to have the, uh, the time the, and, and to be able to link up and do it and uh, you know for whatever reason, sometimes these things you know it's like, oh yeah, that's a good idea, but it doesn't seem like a priority. And now with the new movie coming out, we're getting all excited about Bond, and we happen to have the free time this morning to go ahead, so it's like, well, let's just go. Did you guys both see the movie yet, or
0: I know I you did, seen Andy? I have movie, yes. Yep. I have not. Uh, not my movie-going uh, time is severely limited.
2: <laughs> yeah, that That's... <laughs> young children will do that. Young
0: children will do that, yeah. So, I have not seen it, though. It, what's very interesting, and not to tangent into this, because uh, we got a lot of uh, music to cover on the episode tonight... Um, I'm interested just real quick in your thoughts, Andy, because the British press has been much more kind to Spectre than the American press has been. Yeah, I know. Over here have been very kind of middle of the road, dipping into negative, whereas the ones I've read online for the British press have been mostly positive.
3: Yeah, the British press were were very positive towards it. Um, I'm falling somewhere in the middle. Uh, For me, it's the Daniel Craig equivalent of Thunderball. It is very much a reaction to the previous film, which was phenomenally successful. And for the first two thirds, it pulls it off just by verve and swagger and just that bond cool. And then in the last act, it just all falls apart. But it's still a, a rollicking good night out, and it still shows up all the pretenders to the throne. Ethan Hunt, I'm looking at you.
0: <laughs> yeah, the fourth film for each Bond is always kind of a, uh, a mixed bag, isn't it? You know, between Thunderball and Moonraker and, and uh, Die Another Day, and, and now what you're saying about Spectre. They're always, the third one tends to be the one that's considered the best, and the fourth one's going to follow that up, and it's got kind of, you know, sometimes things get a little, a little um, wonky to use a technical term
1: That's it
2: you know my, my spoilery free review on this has been uh, what I what I keep saying is good enjoyable not great in the Daniel Craig group of movies I would put it as number three out of four uh, beating out Quantum of Solace
3: yeah, yeah. I'd go with it. I think for its first two thirds like I say it's up there with Skyfall um, but the, the the last third makes no sense whatever
0: well, see, right there, it's already better than Quantum of Solace, where the, the last hole of it makes no sense.
3: <laughs> but anywho.
2: Anywho, we're here to talk music, yeah. and we're not going to talk about that song for a little while yet. So, the the first movie in the Bond, uh, the, the Bond series, and we're not going to count the original Casino Royale, although that did have... What song was in that? That did have a famous song in it.
3: I I don't know because I don't think I've ever even
0: seen it. Yeah, I've never seen the, the Playhouse 90 or whatever version of Casino Royale.
2: No, I'm talking the, the David Niven You mean one, the which...
0: David Niven one, don't you? Yeah. I've never I've never watched that. I've seen it once when I was in high school.
2: I think it has a famous song in it, but I don't think the song is famous for having been in that movie.
0: <laughs> That's fair. Because I can't think of what it is, to be honest with you.
2: Anyway, it doesn't matter. No. Uh, the first movie that we're going to actually acknowledge is Dr. No. No. Mm-hmm. first thing we have to talk about is the ever-present James Bond theme, which was introduced in that movie. I think, arguably, it is the single most recognizable theme for a particular character, rivaling the uh, Indiana Jones theme.
3: I I would argue that actually the Indiana Jones theme can be used and has been used certainly at sporting events and things just to be a rousing fist pumping adventure tune, not necessarily associated with Indiana Jones even though everyone knows where it comes from I think you're looking possibly at the the Imperial March to be associated with one particular character because the James Bond theme is everything that you associate with Bond the minute that theme kicks in you know, stuff's going to happen. Every film until Daniel Craig, and it has been resurrected for Spectre, which I don't think is a spoiler, is the the opening uh, gun barrel thing with the Bond theme, and that kicks you off straight away. And the opening of Spectre just a ding, and it doesn't have to play anything else from that theme. But you know what it is? It is a. I'll name that. I'll name that tune in one.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
3: just perfect. It's brilliant, and there is a lot of. Um, controversy regarding who actually composed this and for legal reasons we have to say it's credited to monty norman but it's it's just the way barry would interweave it with a number of the opening themes in the early days as well Mm -hmm. is what helped it become iconic and it is it's james bond's one of those characters he's like superman he's like mickey mouse he's a silhouette he's a, a tuxedo with a gun Mm-hmm. and it's james bond and when you see that image that's the music that comes to mind
0: oh yeah i um, i mean uh my, my note is you know what else can you say when you play this song you know it's uh, especially for guys um like us who and i think we and and i said that i think something very similar when we did the last one with scott we have we cut an interesting cross section of ages and geography but all of us uh, you know love this one character and this uh piece of music sums up everything that is the character like you said Andy. so like you said there's really not much you can say beyond it other than you know like you say that this song is so uh the composition is so well done that it can be translated to just about any type of musical style to the point that even in like octopussy when it's played on the flute when they're charming the snake (laughs) You know, it's not only is it a funny joke, but it's instantly clicks. We automatically recognize it. It doesn't matter whether it's the disco style or with a drum machine laid under it in the late 80s or however. It is, again, like Indiana Jones, like Superman, it immediately uh, uh, triggers that little uh, relay in our brain. And we know it's time for some uh, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, you know.
2: Yeah, it's it basically totally creates the mood no matter when it's used, it totally creates the mood that they're looking for, I think. It, it it gives you the cool of Bond, it gives you the action beats, and again, it's just so interwoven with the character that you hear it and you know something's coming. So I, I just think it's, it's again, just one of the best possible theme music for any one character that I can, I, can, I can't think of any that I would say are, are better.
3: No, and not more associated with the character and a brand that has lasted as long as this one has and is mm-hmm. recognized the world over right yeah you know james bond escorted the queen to the olympics <laughs> <laughs> you know he's not real he's a <laughs> fictional character and yet he escorted the queen to the olympics to <laughs> this music i mean you know
2: i guess moving along because we have a lot of songs to cover unless you guys have anything else on that one
0: no I, I think Luke's right what more yeah. can you say about Luke, it yeah it's it's just too it's too classic so
2: it, it took a little while I think and I I think it took three movies and we'll get there but it took a little while for them to, to find I think for the, for the music to become totally associated with the character the way it is now So the first actual theme song during the credits was the uh, Kingston Calypso also known as three blind mice.
3: Is this? This is a James Bond film. But you know, if you put yourself in the time, that all those little dots dancing all over the screen, and then three blind mice kicking in, it must have been a, a bit of a mind frack, to be honest mm-hmm. with you.
0: Yeah, and uh, Doctor No was the first James Bond film I saw. I saw it on video at home, and I was a, uh, uh, geez, I, I was, I was, I had to be about seven or eight, maybe I would say. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. So you know, it, it never was uh, that odd to me because I just kind of. accepted it being the first one that I saw, and so now Calypso music is always very closely associated with Bond for me, and you know, so whenever my wife and I would go on vacation on a cruise in the Caribbean, you know, it's like, or our honeymoon in Jamaica, it's like, hey, you know, hey, we're we're in the Caribbean, I can find somebody playing some Calypso music, I think it's time to start drinking heavily and, uh, you know, sneaking around corners and looking in doorways, isn't it? So. <laughs> I may not have the look, but I've got the right attitude and that's nine tenths of it, isn't it? So Did you did you pack the tucks,
3: darling? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I well, actually in Jamaica I did order the the uh, gin and tonic that Bond drinks in Doctor No with the half a lime squeezed in it and
3: all that so I'm <laughs> <getting> <laughs>
0: closest to I'm that. ever closest I I'm ever that. gonna
3: get ah you know you never know you may just find yourself in the middle of a, a situation at some point where you all that knowledge will come in useful <laughs> yeah trivia night at the pub. that might be <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it, it's, I mean it, it's fine there's nothing wrong with it I think it's kind of a time capsule to what they would do in movies at that time for the most part I do agree with you Andy that the uh, the visual sequence during the beginning of it was different from what you'd expect, a little bit more psychedelic uh, yeah. and, and, and that would
0: grow as well if these movies went on
3: are, but yeah
0: yeah, well, Maurice Binder's pop art, uh, all his his intros to these films. I mean, they that that's the wonderful thing. They're little music videos in and of themselves, mm. you know. So we, at least myself, I associate the imagery of the you know, Binder's title cards with the song. So I've got this, you know, audio-visual connection for me as well that helps, uh, you know, either build up or sometimes uh, tear down some of these songs that we're going to look at. And this one, I say, would just—it doesn't have the things we normally think of. It's got a lot of the flashing dots and more pop art. It does have, you know, silhouettes of girls dancing and stuff, but not to the not to the level and suggestiveness <laughs> we would get later on as as this got refined. So yeah, I think I think you're right, Paul. It's very much a time capsule. It very much captures the fact that, you know, that this film takes place almost entirely in the Caribbean, mostly in Jamaica. And, you know, and, and uh, Fleming was, uh, you know, he spent a lot of time in the Caribbean when he was writing and during his travels and such. So I think, I think Fleming probably approved of this uh, type of sound and probably would have been uh, authentic, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. And and again, it, it I think it does serve its purpose as well. It's just, I think we've been a little spoiled over time to have expectations of something a little bit more bombastic than Mm -hmm. what we got here. But as the first movie, I doubt anybody thought, Oh, this theme song is not what I, (laughs) you know, what I would expect. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, it it took a little while for them to find that. I think once they found it, they, they've always tried to, at, at a minimum, they've always tried to recreate it.
0: Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment.
2: So the next movie that, came out in 1963 and, and for a while they kept this on a one one a year basis mm-hmm. in 1963 we got from Russia with Love and we really have two songs there and the first would be the opening theme and I find that to be a little bit more typical of the movies of the time as well uh you know, orchestrated, it's nice, it moves along pretty well, but nothing about it that really stood out to me as
1: being
0: Bond. Mm-hmm. It it sounds like an overture, um, you know, like when you get these Roadhouse films from the, right around this time in the 60s when everyone was being seated, they play the overture. That's what it, this one always sounds like to me. Like it, it sounds like this, it, when you it sounds like you should put it on, it should say, Overture, play this music, fade to black, and then the real theme song should start, you know?
2: Yeah, but, in this case, it was Overture, fade to black, watch the whole movie, then the real yeah. theme song. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, for the most part. So, it's nice. You can say it, it, it is a, I like that, as, as you said for, uh, previously, it, it is a nice blending of the two songs, so we get a lot of elements of um, of the actual theme along with uh, the classic James Bond theme and it's nice it's just it's not really memorable in and of itself.
2: Any thoughts on this, Andy?
3: No, but, you know, the main theme from Rush would Love by Matt Monroe, yeah, like you say, is at the end. I prefer it as an instrumental. It's very 50s. It's like the Bond films haven't quite grasped the 60s yet with this one and then when they became synonymous with the 60s with the next one, that's when it all starts kicking off properly.
1: From Russia with love.
2: Well, we, we, we've discussed the orchestrated opening. Uh, any thoughts on the actual vocal ending?
3: Like I, I prefer this as an instrumental. I got it. Matt, Matt Monroe's from Russia Would Love To Me is a 50s theme song that has accidentally ended up on a 60s film.
2: Yeah. I'm totally it, unfamiliar with Matt Monroe. otherwise. I don't know if was either of you deal, have any familiarity with him.
3: I don't know anything, but I'm pretty sure he was a big deal. I know my nan and granddad knew who he was, so... Yeah, it it's, it, it
0: lacks the bombast. It, it's, it's nice, but it's not... It, it's clear the direction they were... Uh, it's clear. I think that they were kind of turning the ship, so to speak, and like you say, it takes a little while to turn a big ship like this. And it and it's nice, but it's not. Again, it it's it's certainly not one of the the best, one of the best ones, even from the era. I,
2: I, I to me, what strikes me about it is, is, to a certain extent, the lack of creativity. It's almost like if I if I gave you that musical line and told you sing for this movie, just about everybody in the world would get the exact beginning of this song. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: You
1: know,
3: it's, yeah, it's just... it's, there's nothing wrong with it. Huh. It's not great, though, is it?
0: No, and that, and that's that's kind of damning it with faint praise. It's not as good as some of these amazing classics. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that I haven't reached that rarefied air yet. <laughs> at, sorry, at, Matt.
2: At, at that juncture, they didn't even have, it wasn't like they had the standard to uphold yet. They still had not found that yet. Mm-hmm. So we, we really are I think we're you know, in in hindsight we're being more critical than we probably need to be.
3: Yeah, you're you're at that point, like um I've just been covering the, little, the Ditko Spider-Mans on Palace of Glitter and Delights plug, and one of the things that I said in the early issues was that this isn't a Spider-Man story. But I did make the point that this is so early in the run you don't really know what a Spider Man story is yet. And this is the same with this. We look back at it now and we don't go, that's not really a James Bond theme. But at this point, we don't know what a James Bond theme is. That hasn't happened yet. So within us looking back at it now, 50 years later, it is easy for us to say, oh, that's an odd choice. But at the time, the public didn't know what a James Bond theme was. It hadn't happened yeah. yet that whole thing now it's a big deal who's yeah. doing the next james bond theme and the premiere of that song gets airplay play on the radio like we're, we're playing the name james bond film in half an hour that, <laughs> that didn't happen here so no. yeah we may be being a bit meaner to it than it deserves
2: yeah. Yeah, at that time especially we're talking closing credits here too we're not even talking about the opener yeah and i think the thought process was get something that's nice that's pleasant and that lo- runs long enough for us to run the credits over it
3: <laughs> yeah, that people can leave to.
2: Yeah, yeah, because everybody's going to be getting up and walking out anyway.
3: Yeah, Nick Fury's not showing up to recruit James Bond for Shield yet.
2: If only. Oh, man,
3: he... that would have been awesome, wouldn't? That would have been cool.
2: <laughs> but anyway, a year later in 1964, they ramped it up, and they ramped it up big time with Goldfinger by Shirley Bassey. To me is still the quintessential James Bond theme. It may not be the style of music that everybody wants to listen to, and you know, that through the years, you know, they went into different styles. This is a little bit more old fashioned style wise, it's very, uh, uh, I would say, lounge singer like. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's awesome it sets a mood it sets a tone for the movie it gives you the character we have the credits you know they're forever linked with with the visual of the credits as they're rolling too which this one you know it really just kind of set the tone for the rest of time Mm -hmm. for James Bond
0: yeah I mean my note is pretty much perfect yes I mean well, every part of this works every part of it the, the the music the lyrics the vocals all of it works and it works wonderfully and and like i said it, it kind of captures that that mid early to mid 60s zeitgeist very well with the like you said the, the sort of lounge singer type of composition and, and uh, miss bassy's voice and all that it's oh you know, it just everything about this comes together beautifully it's just classic
2: now i'm not familiar with Shirley Bassey other than James Bond themes. Did she have much of a career?
3: Oh yeah, Shirley Bassey was huge at the time that she did this. This is is like with Tom Jones next, it's the equivalent now of getting whoever the biggest singer in the world is at the minute to do the James Bond Adele for Skyfall. It's that kind of marriage. Shirley Bassey was, and still is, I would argue quite remarkably big in certain circles and the fact that she's constantly been able to reinvent herself she did um something in the 90s was it with klf she did something that kept Mm -hmm. her in the pop music eye and she's always showing up i don't know in america but over here she's always showing up on tv shows still and she's she can still belt this tune out she really can and it is i mean it's the bond mute theme is interwoven into the song it's it's the bond sound as there's lots of brass mm. and the song tells you who the bad guy is the film doesn't have to do anything to explain <laughs> who the bad is or what his motivations are or give him any characterization at all surely bass has done all of that for you that's all out the way you, you're instantly i know who this guy is and mm. it's the first of the bond films and not the last that will be about the bad guy as opposed to being about Bond, mm-hmm. and it's it's the Bond sound. It, everything came together here, and in many ways, this has been detrimental to the series as well because this is what they've tried to emulate ever since.
2: It's right. Exactly my thoughts. That mm-hmm. they, this is this they hit lightning absolutely because they got a perfect song, but it's been the bane of their existence ever since because they've been chasing that type of feel in every movie since, and, and sometimes they hit it, and sometimes they don't.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what, just one little technical thing I love about this song. For the last, for the big finish, I love the tempo increase because we're, we're already on board. Because like you said, Andy, we've been learning about our, our villain through this song and watching Maurice Binder's titles. And now we, we pick the tempo up just enough to get us even more excited as we go into the finale of the song where Basie absolutely nails that last note. And uh, how many of us tried to do that when we were younger and couldn't pull it off? I know that I'm in that group. And, uh, and so it just gets you excited to watch the film, you know, and that's that's really what the purpose of these are, is to get us in the right mindset and get us uh, jazzed and keyed up. And it's, it just does a wonderful job of that.
2: And I think just as much as the James Bond theme, it created the James Bond sound that we'll hear in so many of these songs, the brassy staccato sound. Mm-hmm. That is synonymous with Bond songs, and in a lot of the songs that we're going to cover, it's that sound that makes it Bond. Yeah. Some of the ones, some of the ones that fail to be real, true Bond songs are because they, they didn't bother to, uh, to go with that. Mm.
3: Yeah, but just just, I, just
2: it, a perfect, it is perfect one of those song. things.
3: Since I do wish we had somebody on who knew how to write music. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> they could actually probably give us some, some insight into the construction of it and, and and all of that stuff that I don't know anything about. No. But it certainly feels very well constructed as a song. And like Luke said, it builds to that ending that they would try and emulate in Thunderball very successfully in Thunderball. Uh, but yeah, Shirley Bassey just, just nails this as she does her next one, which we'll get to in a bit.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, we're a little ways from that one yet. But uh, the next movie was a year later in 1965 with Thunderball.
1: He always runs while others walk.
2: and my understanding of the thunderbolt theme by tom jones was they had a song that they were considering it was rejected and they went to tom jones i think and gave him like a week or two weeks to do this and he pretty much emulates what you know where we are with Goldfinger. I think he creates the Bond sound. Doesn't do it as well as Shirley Bassey, but does it in a very enjoyable way just the same. Uh, I, I particularly like the tune. What do you guys yeah. think of it?
0: It's a personal favorite of mine from when I was younger, so I've always liked it. I love Tom Jones' voice. He has such a, a great voice, especially when he really gets to belt it out like he does here. Um, it, it is very similar in kind of tone to Goldfinger, but having Jones's voice, which is at such a different range than, than uh, Bassie's, I think really helps differentiate it. You know, he's got that. You know, we already. This is the first time in the series we've had that really, really deep uh, baritone male delivery, and it sounds. It, it really sounds nice with the with the uh, uh, the music overlaid. It, but Jones has a good range, so I really like this one. And uh, there's a a great uh, bit about this song, a bit of trivia, and I mentioned this on the other show, that uh, that last note that Jones hits, uh, he has been known to pass out while singing. <laughs> That's how long and hard that note is for him. So on the Wikipedia page for this song, it actually did have a listing of all the times he sung it live and whether or not he remained conscious.
2: I remember many years ago reading you know, a, a breakdown of the song's when there were far fewer than their own and and, and the big thing that they said about this song is he strikes like thunderbolt what does that mean?
3: (laughs) James Bond themes don't have to make sense they just have to be James Bond themes and this is magnificent I always think Tom Jones fainted because his pants are just far (laughs) too (laughs) tight I've got to be honest with you Tom let them out a little bit dude I don't want to tell what religion you are from your trousers. <laughs> Let's be honest. So, but it, it is, it's is—it's a great tune. It's a, it's a magnificent tune. Um, Tom Jones was on just last night performing this as part of Children in Need. He had an hour show oh. um, where he, he was raising money for Children in Need and he was belting out some of his old tunes and this was one of them. And he can still do it. The man yeah. is 75 years old and his voice may be a little gravelier now than it was then, but he can still pull it off. And uh, It's brilliant. It's, in many ways, it's, it's problematic in that it is very much trying to be Goldfinger. And I think largely just because Tom Jones isn't Shirley Bassey, he manages to make it something better than just being a goldfinger knockoff and I think that's entirely down to him but again Barry weaves the James Bond theme into the tune and like a lot of these early ones the theme tune is blended in with the soundtrack as well Mm. which is something that wouldn't happen as we get later and later on so it gives it a more organic feeling that it is actually a part of the film. It isn't just the opening credit theme, and then the rest of the film, theme, the, the rest of the film feels completely detached from it. It's it's great. I love Thunderball. I think mm-hmm. Thunderball's brilliant. I I still belt this out. Uh, out of tune, obviously, yeah. but <laughs> still. Hey, I think you're you know, what, you're
2: this... have an argument there because when you said something better than Goldfinger, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then you <laughs> said, ah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, and, oh no uh, it's not it's not better than goldfinger but it is certainly there's not a hers breath between them
0: yeah and and as far as singing out tune, this is a no judgment zone andy we'll we'll wait till you're <laughs> off we'll wait till you're off the call and then we'll judge you so don't worry oh
3: no no judge me now i don't mind <laughs> that's the no, society I, we couldn't really live in you could be I, simon I, cowell feel free
0: no, I've got one later in the list, and I love to sing that you guys will will just be absolutely, I think, very lose whatever small measure of respect you already have for them.
2: But, you uh, know what? I'm I'm not telling you I'm not going to lose respect for you. It's
0: like, it's just about
2: every song on this list. If I'm in the car, because uh, I, I have a, uh, a flash drive in my car that I could play music on, and I have this whole song catalog in one folder on that. So if I decide I'm listening to Bond today, every song I know the words with, uh, words to, I'm, I'm belting it out along with All it, right. and no one is ever going to accuse me of having a good singing voice. <laughs> and I will only do it if I'm alone.
0: Mm. Oh, I don't do it alone. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But, but uh, I assume
2: the people in the car next to me, or <laughs> out on the street as I'm stopped at a red light, are looking at me and giggling uncontrollably. <laughs> So the the next movie in our franchise was You Only Live Twice. came out in 1967 and the theme song also called you only live twice was by nancy sinatra so we did go with the flavor of the month again
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and uh i i find this one to be much maligned because it did change the tone it went a little bit less bombastic there's really not the horn play in it the way we have in the other move in the other songs since bond themes have found their legs but i find it to be a very pleasant song I do think it kind of sets the tone it does have parallel to music that we hear in the soundtrack as the movie is going along yeah. um, with the Japan scenes and everything and I find it to be a very pleasant song I, you know it's not gonna be on the top of my list but it's enjoyable. It,
0: I always found this I mean it, it's it, one thing that's odd about this song is that um, obviously I, I had heard this song in the 80s when the first when I started watching these films and uh, when this got sampled, Heard the main melody, the na 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 na, was sampled by. I do not even remember the song that sampled it in the two thousands. It's a Robbie Williams tune, that. isn't it? I, yeah, I think. I think you're right, Andy. But all I knew is that I I'm could sorry, hear. Who it. was that, Andy? Robbie Williams. Okay. It's called Millennium. I think is the yeah, song. Yeah, it's a Robbie Williams song. Yeah, but all I remember is hearing it on the radio all the time and thinking they were playing "You Only Live Twice." I was like, "That's an odd one to pick." I was like, "Why that one?" But, um. I mean, I, I like it. It's it, it is very much kind of a trifle. It's it's a, a nice little sweet song I would have preferred since the setting of the film so much of it takes place in Japan They could have brought in um, and again This wasn't something that was really done at the time uh, as far as the the scoring of the films if they could have brought in some Asian Instruments, I think that would have been a nice touch, but I, it, it's all right It's not it, it certainly goes in a different direction and considering that the hype surrounding *You Only Live Twice*. Oh, James Bond will die. James Bond will get married. You know, and all this stuff. It's it's very not not necessarily what you'd expect for a film of the scale and
3: um, style of *You Only Live Twice*. Yeah, I
2: would agree with that.
3: I like this one. Too. I really do. I think it's quite sweet and melodic. And um, how many years I've been watching James 12 films, I still don't know the words. I always sing, "You are very nice. You only live twice," which I know is completely wrong, <laughs> <laughs> but but it rhymes. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, because <laughs> Not
0: nothing says, you know, the cold <laughs> says James ice Bond. in his veins, James Bond. <laughs> you are very nice. You only live twice. <laughs> that's what i say right f- write that down that's all i gotta say make a because when they steal that you're gonna want some legal uh,
3: ownership to it <laughs> i don't think anyone's stealing that Uh, But yeah, I like the lyrics to this one as well because You Only Live Twice people are quite snotty about that title which I think is a great title but -hmm. the song makes it quite clear everybody lives twice they live the life that they are living and the life that they would like to live in their dreams I just think it's a really lovely song I don't know that it would have the longevity that it has had was it not associated with a James Bond film
1: Mm -hmm. I
3: don't necessarily think it's a great James Bond theme but it's a nice song and it is nice that they went. You are very nice. You only live twice. It's <laughs> lovely that they went in a different direction after Goldfinger and Thunder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I like again you mentioning
0: the the lyrics that they take the the title. What and, and the title is the title. They have to use that title, and she takes it in a different direction than what the book uses it. Because mm-hmm. the book, You Only Live Twice, is is fatalistic. It is a very difficult book to get through. Because Fleming was not only burnt out on writing James Bond, but he was going through some real bad stuff, trademark, in his real life, trademark. And uh, so the book itself is not what you would expect after reading the uh, previous books in the series. And so You Only Live Twice in that sense was about Bond, his the life that he has, and then giving it all up and – really dying so to speak and getting and living a second life away from all this stuff so I, I think this is a better interpretation of it considering that ostensibly they weren't actually going to kill james bond off they weren't actually going to marry him off to a japanese fishing girl and have him live the rest of his life in a uh, small fishing village you know i mean even fleming realized that was a bad idea when he did it in the book so uh, like i said it, it's it's good it's just it it it's not the first one that jumps into mind, even for even if you just look at the uh, the Connery uh, themes. It's it's by just being surrounded by songs that are of such high stature, it ends up being lower down on the list.
2: Yeah, and and I think Andy hit it on the head that it's it's a nice little tune. It doesn't necessarily reflect being associated with Bond. You know, right? Over, you know, it it's not a song that you'd hear and say, "Oh, this is a James Bond theme." If you if you didn't know it otherwise, right? Uh, but it it is a nice song, and it probably would have fallen into obscurity by now if it were not a Bond theme song. But I enjoy it, and when it comes on again, when it comes on in the car, I enjoy listening to it. I, I don't I don't flip to the next song, but then I don't flip to the next song on anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Even the ones I don't like. Well, you know I, I will get to one or two that I really don't like. Yeah. Uh, and those I leave off the playlist. But. Moving along, Sean Connery had enough of Bond and was replaced by George Lazenby. In the next movie, we have two again. We have the opening song. ¶¶ and instrumental, and I think, at least as I see it, they wanted to set a new tone. They wanted to have that Bond bombasticness, but they wanted to say, hey, this isn't the Bond we already had, and I feel like this the song kind of sets up more of a, uh, again, more of a psychedelic feel, which is reflected in the movie, uh, and and more of just a... a kind of that late 60s cool as opposed to the early 60s rugged cool uh, i don't know i don't know if that's a revisionist history by me just based on knowing the circumstances of it or if it's really what they were going for
0: yeah um I, the honor Medici secret service i think is i I think that definitely played a part in it because if you look at the visuals again of the opening they show all the scenes from the previous films and they appear to be passing through the hourglass because i think there was a concern at the time that people might not associate this with being in actual air quotes up to the mike james bond film because they had a different actor and so they going with an instrumental theme allows them i said to kind of uh you know, put you know, kind of show that, okay, we're changing course a little bit, we've got a new actor, but look, we still got the same type of sound, here's a more modernist sort of song, this isn't the same one you've been hearing for the last decade, and it also allows them to um, not have to do like they do later, and have the, when you have a title that's so unwieldy, not have to try and work that into a song, lyrically. Uh, I don't know that you could really work on Her Majesty's Secret Service reasonably into a song in 1969 without it being just ridiculous or approaching self-parody. Uh, I, I really like this song. To me, this is right up there with uh, uh, one of the songs we got on the soundtrack, <coughs> excuse me, in From Russia With Love. It's called 007, and that's kind of the, the one of the secondary Bond action themes. And I think this one's right up there with it as a secondary uh, Bond theme. I really like this one. Uh, to the point that, uh, you know, that I, those three make a nice triumvirate of instrumentals. And I think they really all work very well. And I like this one quite a lot.
3: Yeah. Andy? I love this one. This is my favorite. A... <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely adore this. It's brilliant. John Barry was brilliant, let's be honest. And for me, I'd put Snow Job up there with this as well. From a view, if that view to a kill, Luke. Yes, that, that yeah. I would put that in that in that top upper echelons of John Barry themes. If you're just going to mm-hmm. play James Bond music, I love this. I think it's an instrumental theme and it's brilliant, and I love the way it just. I love the background images, which are Evie's images from the previous film. The only thing that spoils this opening for me is Lazenby's This Never Happened to the Other fella, which you could just cut that, just get rid of that, cut it, I'm not interested, don't be self-aware in this moment, because this is a great opening to a very underrated film, and this mm-hmm. is one of, it's certainly my favourite James Bond theme that isn't the James Bond theme.
2: Yeah, I, I don't like when they break the fourth wall. James Bond should not break the fourth wall. He's, he's not Austin Powers. So I agree with you on that. That the coming into the theme, we didn't need that to break the mood. But it is it, it it's it really does again, and I, I keep saying this over and over again. But this is what Bond does: is it sets the mood for the movie, and that's what you want. And it 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 tells you, again, like like Luke, you said, you know, showing the scenes from the other, the other movies, kind of moves it along where they're saying this is the same character but i think it's also kind of putting them in the past saying but we're moving forward
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and you know at least at the time this movie came out in 1969 this was a slightly more modern sound than we've had in the orchestration before this so i think it, it serves that purpose as well so it's it's kind of embracing the past but moving on from it
0: yeah. And and this uh, this scene has made kind of a transition to being used in other places. This was famously used in the first teaser for The Incredibles, the mm-hmm. one where Mr. Where Mr. Incredible is trying to put on his <laughs> belt, which is friggin awesome. I love that. Yep. But uh, but that that little piece of and music it's, and the teaser for Spectre. Yeah. As, again, so it's it's not only become recognizable inside the inside the little universe that is James Bond, but now it's it's become recognizable even outside of that. And it, it's again, it's not at the level of of the James Bond theme because nothing will ever reach that. But I think most people hear this and instinctively they know something about a double O going on in the back of their head.
3: Well, it, it was also a I, th- I want to say it was a top ten hit for the propeller heads. Hmm. Okay. So they had a hit with the, a cover version of it. Uh, I cannot for the life of me remember if that came from the Shaken Not Stirred album that David Arnold did. But it was certainly a, a quite a big club hit for them. So a lot of people know it from that as well.
2: Mm. Now, spoilers for anybody who's not familiar with these movies. But this movie was pretty monumental in the James Bond storyline moving forward because again spoilers james bond got married in this movie and in typical late 1960s 70s fashion they didn't have to worry about that from a continuity point of view because they killed her off immediately yeah uh but it was still a major moment because bond made such a commitment which is not something that would be normal for bond normally bond would you know walk off with the woman you know she's he's gonna bang her but uh (laughs) But you, you know she's not going to be back the next movie. There's, there's never any kind of commitment there, really. So the secondary song in this album becomes key because they had a love song.
1: We have all the time in the world Time
2: to and they brought in Louis Armstrong to do "We Have All the Time in the World," which I think is a very sweet song. Uh, it's it's not "What a Wonderful World" by Louis Armstrong, but it's just really nice. It's kind of melodic. It's 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 low key, and I think it also sets a tone for you know we're not just action bond in this movie we also have a love story and, and who wouldn't want to be in love with 1969 diana Rick?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. well uh, I, I think this is for the where it's used in the film for the montage of bond and tracy it's absolutely perfect take it on its own i think it, it's a little it it becomes a little tedious for me it's just not my type of music but in the film in its place in the uh in the Maison Sen, it is—it's perfect because you really do, like you say, it's a very sweet song. So you really start to identify with the relationship that Bond and Tracy have. And you know, if you've read the book or if you've seen the film before, you—you you know that it's doomed, but you—you you still kind of buy into it. You know, they—for—for for two people, for George Lazenby and Diana Rigg, who hated each other on the set, absolutely hated each other to the point that. Famously, Diana Riggs said she would eat as much garlic and spicy food as she could before their scenes where they were going to have to kiss. <laughs> um, it, it, they, they come off brilliantly together, and this song really helps sell their relationship. Uh, I, I really, I do like this song, like I said, especially in its place. And I did consider using this song uh, for um, the uh, pr- no, my wife and I's presentation at our wedding after when we come out for the reception. But I knew, knowing my family... That my dad or my brother or somebody in my family would know. Hey, wait a minute! Isn't that the one where his wife gets killed at the end? It's like, probably. yes, thank you.
2: <laughs> you probably. I... Had a good omen at your wedding.
0: But you know what? It's like you know what? I'm just gonna avoid that and the sidestep that. I'll find something else. But uh, yeah, I said it, it's it's very it's it's use in the film is is great. This was always one that was see it, it's out of place with the other title themes because it's not a title theme. It's the love theme, as you said, Paul. So. Uh, like I said, definitely uh, to me this always immediately conjures up the images of Bond and Tracy riding together and everything on uh, on the, uh, her dad's estate In uh, I guess that's in Spain, I think but yeah. What do you think, Andy?
3: I like this one a lot but I, I like Louis Armstrong's voice a lot. I think he's got a brilliant voice I, I, It's the only, dis- mine, I disagree I think this stands on its own away from the movie and I do wonder if that's because it wasn't a theme that a lot of people don't remember that it was a James Bond theme. But it is, Luke's right, it is beautifully used in the movie, but it's, it's magnificently paid off at the end as well, where Lazenby gets a lot of slagging off for not being an actor, and some of it's deserved. But his performance at the end, when he actually says, it's all right, it's okay, we have all the time in the world, and that's just heartbreaking. And it doesn't work as well without this song. Mm-hmm. And it's it's lovely. It's it's a nice, lovely little song in and of itself, but it's beautiful when used in the film, and it's it's just brilliant. I love it a lot. Honor, Majesty's Secret Service is severely underrated. Yeah, I I, I, I subscribe was, to the theory. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bill.
2: I'm sorry. I'm sorry as well. But I, I think it was severely underrated. But I think in the last ten years or so, people have realised that it kind of got swept under the carpet. I think one of the reasons it was underrated was because they. Hadn't released it and they didn't show it on TV for a long time. So it wasn't just, it really wasn't considered part of the Bond uh, library for a long time. But once they, they got it out there to the public, the people who spent the time to actually sit down and watch it, I, I don't think it's underrated with them. I think people realize how good it is.
3: Yeah. Also, I also think, as well as Daniel Craig, allowed a reappraisal of the harder edged Bonds, like the Timothy Dalton ones as well. I think he he being what he is and what he's done with it has allowed people to go back and see the 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 lesser comedic ones or the lesser frivolous ones and look at them with a new eye. Yeah,
0: I've I've all uh, there's a theory that that's I've seen kicked around for as long as I've been online that I kind of tend to side with was that if um, if Eon had made the films in order and had done Thunderball. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and then you only live twice, the way that the books are, and that Connery's uh, fifth film had been On Her Majesty's Secret Service, then that then if you so if you take this production and you put Connery in it instead of Lazenby, there's, there's a lot of people that think that would be considered that theoretical film would be considered the best of the entire series.
3: And it depends. I, uh, sorry to interrupt. It depends no. which Sean Connery comes to the party. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. But just
0: based on just the the, the strength of, of the ad, the adaptation from the book, uh, the performances from the other players, you know, Diana Rigg, Telly Savalas, and we talked about this on the other show as well. Uh, you know, it's 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 a theory. Obviously, it exists only in some uh, alternate Earth on a different vibrational frequency that we'll never get to see. <laughs> But, you know, it's 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 an interesting food for thought, you know, one of those discussions that you have when you've had a couple of uh, martinis uh, at the at the bar and you're talking James Bond. But, uh, yeah. So, like I said, it's uh, I agree with Paul for a long time. The only way that you could see this as PBS actually did a a version of this that was cut down to like an hour and it had like narration. Have you guys ever seen that one? No, no. I, I, I don't think you can find it. It might have been just a local PBS thing. I remember watching part of that with my mom when I was a kid. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this was one. I didn't see it until um, they finally started re-releasing them all on VHS, and I ended up buying it myself because my dad didn't remember liking it, so he didn't buy it. And like I said, it was never on TBS until that point in the in the mid-'90s. So, yeah, I think it's gotten a reevaluation and it's it, people, I think, appreciate it more. It's not perfect, but it, it definitely is better than, I think, what a lot of people remembered it in the uh, in the 80s.
2: Yeah, I would agree. And then two years later, a mere two years later, they got they they backed up the uh, money truck and they got mm. Sean Connery to come back for Diamonds are Forever.
1: Diamonds are forever. They are all I need to please me. They can stimulate and tease me. They won't leave in the night. I've no fear that they might desert me. for this one, it worked like
2: Shirley Bassey trying to recapture the Goldfinger sound. And it is the theme song that I would say is most closely linked to Goldfinger. It's most closely uh, similar to Goldfinger. Uh, but I think it really works almost as well. It's just a tick below Goldfinger to me, but almost as good. And this is one of the ones that I do belt out in the car. <laughs>
0: It's very it's like the seventies take on Goldfinger. You know? It's
2: yeah. <laughs> it's got Even a, it's, including the long last note.
0: Yeah. It's got the the little bit of a little bit of disco in there, you know, the, the lyrics have gotten that much more suggestive. But it's appropriate to do a seventies version of Goldfinger. It's the same singer, and we're now in nineteen seventy-one, so I'm okay with that. This is, this is a really good one. This is a uh I said another one that if it if you catch the beginning of it or something you're going to end up singing it so just just roll with it <laughs> at least the chorus I don't sing the verses on this one I feel a little a little awkward trying to sing some of the the verses in this one
2: got to be comfortable enough in your own skin
3: <laughs> you don't want to sing about being caressed you know no it's it's uh... The, the,
0: and the whole men are mere mortals it's like no I'm not singing about men nothing we're going to my grave for it. I'll do it I'll do it for the listeners because that's how much I love them but you know
3: uh, yeah there was a documentary on BBC4 last week when Spectre came out uh, and Mark Gatiss was uh, talking to Matthew Sweet. Mark Gatiss is has been in Doctor Who and wrote The League of Gentlemen and stuff. Matthew Sweet's a journalist. And they were just going through the James Bond films. And Gatiss said something that I found was incredibly funny. The 70s are the 60s, but they've gone off a bit. <laughs> OK. <laughs> And I think that about a lot of the James Bond themes of this era. They're the 70s, so it's gone off a bit. This is Goldfinger, gone off a bit. It's not that it's not good. It's not that it's not eminently hummable or singable or recognisable. It's all of those things. But it's like Diamonds Are Forever. Now, I love Diamonds Are Forever. Diamonds Are Forever is a brilliant film. But it's gone off a bit. And that's this. That's, That's what this is. It's not the Goldfinger in its prime bond and I suppose you can argue then though for that it suits this picture because Sean Connery is not the 60s in his prime bond mm-hmm. in this film anymore he's actually leaning towards a little bit flabby mm-hmm. and maybe that's, that's the problem with some of the 70s movies the leaning towards being a little bit flabby it's great and I love it it's not Goldfinger though
2: it's I, I much like Goldfinger I love the way it starts very slow and it builds up it builds up and then just kind of cuts loose mm-hmm. and that's i i just find this to be a, 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 just a, a very memorable song a very listenable song and sadly for anybody in the car next to me a very easily sung along
0: with song. <laughs> yeah yeah and I, and I do like again buried the the instrumentation of the like you said at the beginning paul when it starts slow the tinkle, tinkle, tinkle sound is absolutely perfect. I mean, what? I mean, you listen to that, even if you don't know, you'd assume it was something about something glittering, that it comes out to be diamonds. It's like, of course, because that's what it sounds like. So, so yeah, it's a good one.
2: Two years later, we were, Sean Connery was gone again, and they brought in Roger Moore for Live and Let Die. When you
1: were young and your heart was an open book, to say, live and let live You know you did, you know you did, you know you did But if this ever-changing world in which we're living Makes you give in and cry Say, live and let die
2: along with with Roger Moore they brought in rock and roll Mm -hmm. and Paul McCartney and Wings did the theme song for this movie and to me this song is up there with Goldfinger I think it creates it captures a Bond sound that is new and different but is also so easily relatable to the character especially the, the non-singing parts. The den-den-den, den-den-den, den-den. den is just so quintessential in mind. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. This, this is, uh, we talked about this with Under Majesty's Secret Service, but there was a conscious effort by Eon and Saltzman and Broccoli to make a line of demarcation between what had come before and this. And that's why they went and they got a rock act with wings. It was, they wanted to you move in a completely different direction and this is this i don't think anyone will argue when i say this is the best of the rock songs uh that of, of this uh this set of songs it's there's a reason why this became not only a standard song in wings's playlist but why this was covered so successfully by guns N' roses in the 90s and became one of their standard songs this is just a great rock song with great lyrics it's got uh a lot of t- uh, you know opportunity for the the band to just play and play well at. It it really gets you uh, gets you pumped up. This is a, a real good. Uh, you know, it's it's classic rock now, but at the time this was this was must have been pretty daring in 1973 uh, to come in and expect to hear, you know, what what we had already established kind of as the Bond sound, and instead to get, you know, some in your face rock and roll.
2: And and again, just just so easily relatable to Bond. And, I, and I, in my mind, I just keep hearing the different, you know, the the song, the part of the song that I just did, or even the. You know, the, duh, duh, duh. like the suspenseful music yeah. that they play during the scenes, you know, in, in, when, when something is going on Bond's in a trap and he has to get out of it. it. It's so intertwined with the orchestration in the movie as well that it just becomes the theme that you walk out of, the, out of the theater with it in your head. This was the first Bond movie that I saw in a movie theater brand new with my friends as opposed to my parents taking me. And I think I saw it five times. Hmm. What do you think, Andy?
3: I think it's great. It shouldn't work. There's a key change at one minute, 20 seconds that just comes out of nowhere. The lyrics are really bad grammar. And yet it's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. And there's even a little line in it you've got to give the other fella hell, referencing that this is Roger Moore's first film. Uh, I love it. I love Living Like Die. I even loved Guns N' Roses' version of it. Yeah.
2: I can't go that far. <laughs>
3: that's
0: too much. Funny, was it?
2: I never liked Axl Rose's voice.
0: Well, but the the, the best part of the Guns N' Roses cover is not Axl singing. It's Slash and Duff's playing. And and that's one of the great things about it. Like I said, it really, led, it really gives the band an opportunity just to cut loose, which is not the case in any of the songs really prior to this. You know? Um, Sometimes songs exist as an excuse for the band to play really hard and I'm not saying that's what this is But it does give them that that opportunity and it really it's memorable because of it Yeah
2: Now having seen paul mccartney in concert several times. This is always one of the highlights of his live show uh, Where they can cut loose a little bit with some lasers. They can get some fireworks going And just make it as bombastic as possible and then the, one of the nice things about it is, but that it slows down mm-hmm. and it allows it allows you time to breathe again before it picks up and it goes crazy again. Just just incredibly well done. And this is this is to me, this is Paul McCartney at the height of his powers.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's also the closest we'll ever get to there being, you know, this is a, a Beatle working on a James Bond song.
3: Yeah, given that say, Bond didn't like the Beatles in Gold. Well, and, and let's say in, and Bond,
0: and neither did Ian Fleming. So that's, you know, <laughs> that those early ones when the Beatles could have theoretically done a song uh, now would have, you know, that's night by 73. I think the potential of that had gone away. But, uh, you know, th- this was the best you're going to get for those two icons of British culture right there. So
2: It's the equivalent of listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. yeah <laughs>
0: You know, considering this is the same character who has this the hideous wallpaper on display in his apartment in this film, I don't know if Bond should be casting aspersions on anyone's taste, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> no, all, all some of the clothes
3: that he wears in the 70s, that uh, towel in robe yeah. that he has on in, in gold thing. I know that's the 60s, but that's pretty awful. So, yeah, stick mm. to the Savile Row suits, James. Yeah,
0: I, this, this film, I, again, I just... One of my absolute favorite bits of any James Bond film, and this one, when he's picking out the ties, I'll take that one and that one. That one's a bit severe. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> to, to me, in the all-time list, if we're ranking these songs, and I know we're not, but if we were ranking these songs, this one comes right there with Goldfinger for me as my absolute favorite.
0: Yeah, there's, there's again, there's a reason why it's a standard song for the bands that played it.
3: Yeah, there's a reason it's become a a powerful song independent of the film, and that's that it's just good.
0: Yeah.
2: So the following year, The Man with the Golden Gun was released, and they kind of went... Well, they did have some choices on this because they did have an Alice Cooper song that they decided not to use, but instead they went back for more of a 60s sound and brought in Lulu. Probably the biggest criticism you can give this song is it's a little forgettable. Mm. It's not bad. It's okay, the lyrics are kinda silly. It's almost like, you know, the whole the whole uh, they, they really tried to go for the kind of sexual innuendo in the lyrics. And I'm not sure that it comes off as more than campy if you're really listening to the, the lyrics in it.
0: Yeah.
2: But it's it's an enjoyable tune. It's not bad. It, uh, no, it's no to serve with love. <laughs> uh,
0: it, I like this one. It's a, it's a favorite. I, I can recognize that it's not one of the best ones, even though I like it a lot, because I have a lot of affection for the man with the golden gun, so I may just be more prone. Uh, I think in 1974, Alice Cooper was still probably a little too controversial for the folks at, at Eon, and I can understand that. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it's, it's nice. See, the lyrics are a little bit on the nose. I mentioned the... Sexual innuendo and in diamonds are forever. This one kind of puts that to shame, you know. He comes just before the kill. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just right on there. But <laughs> and, and again, but if you have if you have a, a song with the title "The Man with the Golden Gun," you know, you you gotta just kind of play along with it. Otherwise, it's you know you're you're going into uh, you know really obscure territory. Otherwise, it is it's good. It, it fits the film. Uh, it's got kind of that. All, you know the the film itself is kind of low budget and low rent in a lot of ways which is one of the reasons that I, I enjoy it and so the song kind of fits that mood a little bit so it, it's good it, this was one I would I liked a lot when I was in high school because it was so like I said so on the nose about the the, the lyrics and the title and the music but it, it's it's yeah it, it's a lesser one but it's still fun he's got a
3: powerful weapon. <laughs> <laughs> he delivers a golden shot <laughs> it probably goes without saying that I love this one <laughs> I love that it's campy, I love that it's stupid I love that it makes no sense, it's eminently lovable and who doesn't love Lulu she's a ginger feisty Scott what's not to love there <laughs> and she's open and honest about shagging take that, so fair play to her it's the
2: deep- the. Review I, I heard was what do you exe- expect for the theme song from a movie where the most memorable thing is that the guy had three nipples.
3: <laughs> well, I, this, I, this... I, I, I've got nothing bad to say about this. No, it's yeah, it's.
2: I would say, like I said, I think the the biggest criticism I can give is that it's it doesn't stay with you. It's a little forgettable. You know, you walk away and it's like, all right, you know, you don't you don't keep thinking about it. It doesn't stay in your mind. It doesn't give you that. Uh, you know that that situation where it's repeating over and over in your mind and you have to hear it just to get get it out of your head
3: Mm -hmm. well i think i think you're in an era now of forgettable ones i think we've got a couple coming up that are forgettable so i think that's kind of where we are at the moment as as it is I, i genuinely like this one
2: yeah well i uh from that we'll move on to the spy who loved me 77 and they definitely did a change up in the sound i think they wanted to continue with a more modern sound and they went with carly simon nobody does it better i think i may be one of the people who likes this more than most others i I think it, it does really fit this fit the uh the movie I think this is one of the best, in my opinion, it's, it is the best Roger Moore Bond movie and I, I think it kind of fits and I think as the song gets into the chorus part of it, it does pick up enough in tone to, to kind of create a Bond feel for me at least. And I do remember when this movie came out, when, when they started showing it on HBO and they would have a commercial for it with the theme song playing and you'd see scenes of Roger Moore fighting uh, Jaws, uh, in particular the scene where he takes the lamp and electrifies his mouth.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so it, for me, it, it is Forever entwined as a Bond song, but it's also a uh, kind of the theme song for everybody who has a Eugene going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's why Paul likes it. There you go. I, I like this one a lot too. Um, I, I, just like "Live and Let Die," there's a reason why this had such crossover appeal, and you know this was a, a, a standard part of Carly Simon set for years and years. I, the the lyrics, I think there there's a lot of superlative praising lyrics, but it never reaches a, a corny, campy sort of sound. There, there's a honesty to it, you know. Uh, Baby, you're the best. You know, it's it's very <clears throat> you can you can. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can look at this song as you know uh, praising uh, uh, another party, praising um, you know uh, another person, or whether it's one that you're talking that the, the singer is talking to themselves to build themselves up, you know. And for a film that again features Bond ostensibly with his equal with Major Massiva, even though you know that we can argue her depiction uh, till the cows come home that the idea that nobody does it better even though you're partnered with someone who's just as bad as good as you, you're still doing it better than she is. You know, let's never forget that and crucial, crucial point. It, it's 70s without being ridiculously so. You know, it's, it definitely has a 70s sound without being like we'll hear with some of the the later stuff about being really disco-y kind of sound. So, I like this one quite a lot. And, and I owe, oh, again, I got into The Spy Who Loved Me watching it on TBS. Uh, as a kid. So I always associate this with James Bond, and, and it always gets me excited, because I, too, love The Spy Who Loved Me. So, what do you think, Andy?
3: Uh, I love The Spy Who Loved Me. It is uh, Roger Moore's, uh, my opinion, it's Roger Moore's best one. It's um, The song's brilliant. It's 1977. and I don't think this sounds dated at all. Particularly when you get to the strings bit at the end, which is just lovely. Even divorced of mm-hmm. the lyrics or whatever, that's a lovely bit. But it's the first one that's about Bond. It's not about the villain. It's not about the diamonds or whatever. It's about James Bond. Yes, it's about his magnificent proficiency in the bedroom, but it's still <laughs> about James Bond. And it's the first song that that is like that. And it's remarkably undated. It's remarkably still good. It's been used in a lot of different situations. Certainly over here, it gets used on sports programs a lot. You know, when somebody, when our team wins, <laughs> it, it gets used quite considerably. Um, and it works in that context. But it is, it's a great James Bond theme as well, because it is about him. And it's, it's lovely. I think, I really like this one. I think it's, uh, it is up there with Live and Let Die and Goldfinger for me. It's one of the, mm-hmm. the top ones, certainly top five.
2: I and say, I don't mean it's a number five in that opinion.
0: No, no, I love I love that this one. That. No, I think the fact that it's it's there there are some people I think don't like this song just because it is different, you know whether it's different lyrically or or musically or however. So I think that some people turn against it that way. But I I don't I've never understood that opinion because it's I said I not only is it it's extremely well suited to the character it's extremely well suited to the film. And it's just a, a wonderful song. Even taken on its own, taking this out of the James Bond milieu, and this is a good, good song. So yeah, this this is this is a great one.
3: I think that's that's something that we're, we're coming across. Is uh, not to go back to the man with the golden gun. If the song works independently of the film, it has become a classic in its own right. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly the case with Goldfinger. It's certainly the case with Live and Let Die, and it's certainly the case with this one. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a good description of of where it's where it falls in just the pop culture mindset. But we moved on in 1979, trying to recapture The Spy Who Loved Me and reaching back and bringing in Shirley Bassey for Moonraker. This one's a failure i think this is just you know they, they went away from that goldfinger diamonds are forever feel and they went for a slower smoky lounge type song and while it suits her voice to sing a song like that uh the song is nothing special in my mind uh and and in many ways i think moonraker was kind of a failure. You know, there are moments in it that are wonderful, but for, on, on a whole, I think that it, it, Moonraker is one of the lesser Bond movies, and I think it was because they were really trying to chase a trend instead of being true to themselves, and I think the song is indicative of that for me.
0: Do you remember I said earlier that there's one I like to sing in my house that you guys are going to be surprised by? <laughs> I guess this, this is it. This is it. And I, I say this this is a song I go to seeing while I wash the dishes every night. And, you know, it, I, I this is one that, that Daisy herself doesn't like. I think the word she specifically used was it was unfinished because of the just even though they, they had, you know, Moonraker was in production for quite a while. They apparently never got this song where she liked it. But I I do. I really like it. You know, it, to me, it, it has it captures kind of the spacey cosmic sound. But it can still work if you're thinking about not the Moonraker as a shuttle, but the Moonraker as, you know, the, the main sail on a, on a sailing ship. It has that sort of uh, easy drifting back and forth kind of sound. So I, I like it. It's, it's not it's nowhere near her other two songs, but I really like this one. It's always been a, a favorite of mine, just uh, j- just because it's 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 atypical for the film. And and in fact, in the film, this starts up with the with the drum roll, like the circus drum roll, with jaws falling, and then it's a hard cut after it hits the cymbals right into the very, very kind of soft melodic sounds of the song here. So I I, I recognize again that this one is not is not well liked and is not popular, but it's always one that I've enjoyed, and 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 again, it's one that gets stuck with me, and I like to sing so. Uh, so if, you, if you're ever around, when uh, if you ever come to visit and I'm cleaning up, you'll hear me get to belt out. Uh, <laughs> Where is that moonlight train that leads to your side? Just like the moonraker goes in search of his dreams of old. You know, so... Maybe maybe it's just me. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm... No, that was great. That was better <laughs> than the song. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank
3: you. <laughs> um, I think I, you gave
2: I Shirley to... Bassey a run for her money
1: there.
3: Yeah, just, and that's that's what's wrong with it. It's not a Shirley Bassey song. Yeah. Shirley Bassey's um, Shirley Bassey's a, a lounge singer. Shirley Bassey can command an audience. Shirley Bassey can be heard at the other end of the auditorium, and this it just doesn't suit her as a singer i mean i don't know whether i don't know whether that's had an impact on the song whether her choice of singing it ended up that the song wasn't as memorable as it should be despite the fact it was her it doesn't it's not her it doesn't suit her it doesn't suit her style maybe in the hands of somebody else it would have been better as it is this is one of the unmemorable ones i was talking about earlier on mm-hmm. you think about moonraker i don't think about this song and that's no. that's very odd
0: yeah, you really gotta. You know, again, you most of it, you have to think. What was the song to Moonrig? It's, it's not yeah. one
3: that jumps out, you know. And uh, yeah, and when when pub quiz questions name the three James Bond themes that Shirley Bassey has sung, this is the one that always gets people.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so moving along, in 1981, they released For Your Eyes Only. one they brought in at the time, a big pop star, Sheena Easton. And I saw this as kind of if at first you don't succeed. <laughs> let's, let's go back to the well for a female singer singing a slow, uh, powerful slow song without those James Bond brassy horns and see if we can do it right. And I thought this one they did do it right. I think this was this is another one that was a hit in its own right. It wasn't mm-hmm. just because it was a James Bond song. Uh, I think it set a tone for the movie, but it doesn't. It doesn't really reflect the movie as much as it's just a, a nice song. At the beginning of it, it's the first one where the actual singer appears in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the only. No, it's not the only one, but. uh... I, I really thought this was a good song, and I, I like it a lot.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you guys—I I, don't—I don't know if you guys will agree with me on this or not, but to me, this is the the best piece of music in a very poorly scored film. Uh, with uh, no no uh, no disservice to Bill Conti, you know, I love his work uh, as on the American Gladiators theme, but this was uh, a, a, just a bad decision in 1981 to go full out disco. And uh, for your eyes, I like to say, this was one that being released in 1981. I remember hearing this on the radio as a kid on the, you know, the uh, Today's Hits station, you know, Magic 105.5 in, uh, in New York. Shout out to Tom Panneries. But um, so it, it's it's good. It's definitely uh, a, a It's that early 80s kind of sound where we have still got a bit of the 70s. We're not full on into the 80s yet. And uh, Easton's a, a good singer. I mean, she's probably best known besides this for singing uh, uh, Morning Train. Which uh, has a great bit on uh, that one episode of Seinfeld, mm-hmm. and uh, it's 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 a good it's a good song. It's just unfortunate to me that this doesn't translate to the rest of the film. And taken on its own, this is a, a very nice little tune.
3: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> not
0: your scene <laughs>
3: <laughs> no i find it really bland and uninteresting i think it's pop music of the worst kind to be associated with james bond it's pick a popular artist of the time and get them to do a theme sheena easton was big she just rose to prominence on a tv show i cannot for the life of me remember what the name of it was she was kind of discovered on some television show, and then we did a, a what would nowadays be called a reality show, but it's now it was then a documentary of her making her career and breaking big. And that TV show is ironically responsible for her breaking big. Now whether she would have done without the TV show, I don't know. And so she was really popular. I've, I actually find this really bland and dull, and it's middle of the road pop music that's perfectly fine. But the problem being middle of the road is at some point you're going to get run over. And along with Moonraker and the next one, it's a trilogy of deeply unmemorable, incredibly boring, just meh themes for the James Bond films. I do agree entirely with what you say about Bill Conti's score, which for your eyes only nowadays holds up as one of the better of the Roger Moore entries, because he's a bit more ruthless in it. Because it wasn't written for Moore. Moore had quit at the end of Moonraker. So it was written for a new actor. And the film stands up much better than you would think it would, given its position in the pantheon, until that god-awful score by Bill Conti kicks in. And it's, it just gives the, the whole the whole thing a very dated feel that isn't helped by Sheena Easton singing this song.
0: It's definitely a product of its times, musically, um, for good or ill. You know, it, it definitely. I, I fall on ill. Right, and and you know, and again, I agree with you completely. You like said about Bill Conti. I happen to like this one probably because I've heard it so many times. And being a kid of the '80s, the '80s stuff tends to appeal more to me than than it does to others. But um, <clears throat> just a weird. You mentioning the the more ruthless Bond. Another big, strange comparison, the, the the sweet theme song and then Bond kicking lock down the hill in the Mercedes, you know? <laughs>
2: it's the most memorable scene in the movie as far as I'm concerned. Too. Oh, yeah, it's classic. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, musical taste is like every other artistic taste as far as I'm concerned. There are no rights and wrongs. You like what you like, I like what I like, and, and you know, the... There's no point in trying to tell anybody that they're wrong about it. And I happen to like this song. I think it's a, it's a nice tune. It's it's uh, again, it's another one where it's a kind of a slow burn. I, I think her song is very ple- her, her song. Her voice is very pleasant in it. Uh, I, I like this one a lot, so I'm okay with it, and I'm also okay with the fact that you don't. <laughs> so that that's not you know that's not a problem. But they moved on in 1983. We have two Bond movies in 1983 of sorts. Uh, in June of 1983, they released Octopus. <laughs> Now, in this movie, the song is all-time high by Rita Coolidge. To me, Rita Coolidge's claim to fame is that she was married to Chris Christopherson. (laughs) She never actually did anything.
3: Doesn't that say it all when you're famous for who you're married to?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, She, uh, this, this, this song, to me, what you just said about For Your Eyes Only describes this song. This is just forgettable. I remember when this movie came out and we heard this song and one of my friends said something about it, "Eh." and I said, yeah, but it'll probably be a hit. And he was like, why? I said, because it's the theme to a James Bond movie. And it was kind of a a mild hit because of that. I think it's the kind of song that if it was not in a James Bond movie, you'd never, you you would be totally unfamiliar with it. You never would have heard it. Mm -hmm. It's not that it's unpleasant. It's fine, but it's just kind of boring.
0: Yeah, the only the only real comments I have on this one is I really like her voice. I think she has a very sultry voice, which is a well suited to like singing a James Aristotle Bond. Yeah, I mean, you know, she's got a she's got a sexy voice. There's no way around that. Um, and uh, it, it, this is kind of like an 80s take on nobody does it better, but not nearly as good. And it's 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 OK. It's another one where you think, what was the theme song to Octopus? It's all right. Nobody, you know, uh, all time high. Um, And the only thing that I think is just by design or by accident, there's kind of an interesting bit in the lyrics, is that one of the lines that she sings in the chorus is, Hold on tight, let the flight begin. Well, Octopussy famously has two sequences involving airplanes. So I just thought that was all, I just always thought that was kind of ironic, that they talk about let the flight begin. We've just had Bond in the little pocket jet flying through the hangar and all that and then at the end we get Bond and Gobinda fighting outside the jet so uh, you know th- th- that is just more trivia than anything else Yeah, not a not a real memorable tune here in, in any capacity
3: uh, No, it's everything I just said about For Your Eyes Only <laughs> It's a bland, boring middle of the road, middle-aged woman M.O.R. pop song that you can imagine Whitney Houston would have probably turned into a number one hit which is not a good thing. Um, it's it's duller than dishwater. It's boring. This is not a James Bond theme. Yeah. She, the the woman may be lovely. I have no idea who she is. I have no knowledge of Rita Coolidge beyond this song. And yeah, like I said, a voice like like Luke says is is pleasant enough for that pop genre of music, that middle aged drivel and I say this now as somebody's fault. <laughs> that middle aged drivelly pop song women blah, fall in love, blah blah, boring, drivel, dull, boring, dull, dull and boring or even more duller and boring. And it's just bland. It's uninteresting. I almost fast forwarded it. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. the and
0: the visuals it goes with are not good either. This no. is this is one of the absolute weakest of the uh, the int- the uh, the introduction the uh, the title sequences. I mean, it's just it's it's boring, it's repetitive. The titles, I mean, and so it's yeah. This this is one you can safely skip on your uh, on your you know fast forward or just hit that little skip button if you want.
2: <laughs> if, if somebody if you had the songs playing in order, and when you weren't looking, somebody pressed skip just before this came on, and you went right <laughs> to the next song, you wouldn't realize it. No, you wouldn't miss it. You wouldn't say, wait a minute, I didn't hear all-time high. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, I mean, they obviously thought they couldn't work Octopussy into a song, but yeah. Charlie Simon managed to fit The Spy Who love Me into her
0: song lyrics. Seamlessly.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But to
0: be fair, that's an easier rhyme. Yeah, than Octopussy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, I'm sure you can come up with something. I'm not going to waste any of the show's time trying to think of it, but I'm sure you can come up with something. So three months later another studio had the rights temporarily to do a bond movie and got Sean Connery to come back for never say never again
1: never say never again, say never again. Never, never say never again.
2: The theme song from this was done by a singer who I'm totally unfamiliar with other than this song, uh, named Lanny Hall. And I would, I would suspect that I'm going to be in the minority here because I kind of like this song. I think it's got a little jazzy feel to it, and it's 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 a nice little tune it's not one that i sought out actively it's not one that would ever end up on any other song list than a james bond song list for me uh but when it comes on i kind of like it i think it's got a nice sound to it uh doesn't it it, it, in some ways i think it does kind of set a tone for the movie and (laughs) you can take that for what it's worth (laughs) because i also think i like this movie more than most people do. uh but I, I, I think it's a, you know, it's a fairly decent song, and uh, I, I don't know what Lonnie Hall did other than this. If she ever did anything else, I don't, I wouldn't know. But again, I just kind of like the jazzy sound to it, and I think it's a, it's a decent tune. it, um,
0: it, it it's to me, it, it sounds kind of like the theme to a Bond knockoff, which is oddly appropriate. And I'm not saying that never See never agains a knockoff, but I think you you understand what I'm saying. It's it's more suited for a Bond film than All Time High. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I haven't uh, exactly the same no, Yeah, it's that, again. It, it's it's the main problem here is it's forgettable. I I I don't think I when I listened to it doing our show prep, I don't think I remembered anything but the the never never say never the chorus. You know, I don't think I remembered any of the verses and I mean admittedly it's been a few years since I've watched Never Say Never Again but it just doesn't stick with you it's, it's very early 80s kind of standard issue stuff it's, it's nice but it just doesn't have any real staying power for me
3: no I'm, I'm pretty much exactly the same as you I don't remember it other than the chorus it's much better than All Time High which isn't saying a lot um you know I mean I don't think Never Say Never Again is watchable I think it has moments but yeah it's just meh another 80s one that's meh
2: <laughs> okay, you know, again, I, I, I figured I'd be in the minority on, on kind of liking this one. But, you know, uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm used to being all alone.
3: All <laughs> by myself. <laughs> hey, yeah,
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, Eric Carman. <laughs> uh, so, in 1985, we basically got our last, uh, our last shot at Roger Moore. And they went for a, back to the more rock and roll genre for this one. They brought in Duran Duran for a view to a kill. Like this one, yeah. I think this is. It creates that Bond feel. It it has the Duran Duran sound to the song. They don't. They're true to themselves, and yet the horns in it really create that again that staccato James Bond feel. And I think it just really is a, a is one of the one of the better songs in the catalog. I think.
0: Yeah, the, to me, this is the best of the '80s themes by a, a wide wide margin. I really. Uh, I, you guys listeners may remember if they listened to the previous uh james bond show that i'm a huge fan of the film of you to a kill and i love the song of you to a kill and i'm a big duran duran fan but not as big as some other people i knew growing up so you know they, they i think it's it'd be it'd be it would be a, it would not be wise to underestimate just how popular this band was in 1985 oh yeah they, and they, uh Oh yeah, not, not and,
2: with me, not in my household. No, not not in your, off.
0: but not yeah. But with with the the younger set, I mean this this video got tons of airplay on MTV. I know. I mean Scott Gardner specifically complained about that. I think so. Uh, you know, take that as you will. Uh, what's interesting also is the origins of this. Is that the the story goes that John Taylor, who is the bassist of Duran Duran, him and Cubby Broccoli were at a party. And apparently Taylor was uh, had been imbibing a few adult beverages and went up to him and says, when are you going to get someone decent to do one of your theme songs? And so from him kind of accosting Cubby Broccoli at a party, that led to, you know, uh, Duran Duran actually being chosen and Barry working with them to kind of put together this song. And the... Uh, Uh, and and, you know it's just another thing is that the title of the short story is from a view to a kill and actually if you watch the end of Octopussy it says James Bond will return in from a view to a kill but it was decided that the from made was not easy to work into the song so they just changed it to a view to a kill so it's a little bit different than the the title of the, the story um great music it's very 80s but still has that like you said paul the the brassy sound the staccato sound to make it a james bond theme um the lyrics are pretty meaningless but they're 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 sung nicely and the music is a lot of fun i really really dig this one can you tell that i'm a fan i think so
2: <laughs> but i'm i'm right there with you and i'm not a you know i i Duran Duran is all right as far as I'm concerned, but I'm right there with them. so...
0: I mean, I'm, I'm just such a fan of this film. Like I said, I like Duran Duran. I have Rio on CD upstairs, but uh, it's, uh, you know... Th- this song and this film just, for some reason, clicked with me, and, and I've always hung on to them And there. It was just great knowing that doing the show prep is like, oh, I get to listen to A View to a Kill. <laughs> Musically, this this
2: movie will always have a little bit of a a downside for me because of the way they worked in california girls
0: yeah but taking
2: always be a curse on this movie for me
0: but you know what's funny is that and and andy you mentioned this earlier if you look at barry's score to this film it's fantastic yeah
2: and it's just got that black mark
0: that that little bit of that that one gag that went a little too far because the rest of that sequence the music is as amazing and uh, and then we get a similar theme at the. You mentioned Snow Job, uh, Andy, which is uh, the bit at the beginning in the pre-credit sequence. The one that goes with it to me is Golden Gate Fight with uh, Bond yeah. and Zoran on the Golden Gate Bridge. That is brilliant. But we're not talking about barrier Now we're talking about Duran Duran. What do you think, Andy?
3: I hate Duran Duran. I've always hated Duran Duran. I can't stand them in any way whatsoever they were at the 80s were a really rough time for people like me who like jingly jangly indie guitar punky rock and yet <laughs> i really do like this song it actually physically pains me to admit i like anything that simon lebon is involved with but this is actually really good it's a james bond theme it feels like a james bond theme it's Much more memorable and hummable than the previous three. It accompanies the the film that it is associated with exceptionally well, and it does exactly what it's supposed to do. It makes you gung-ho for the James Bond film that you are about to watch. Yes, it makes no sense. Luke's already pointed that out. But sometimes that doesn't matter in a song. Sometimes it doesn't matter at all that it makes no sense. It's how it makes you feel. It's the emotional impact that it has on you. And this is this, this, this is hurting me to say that this is certainly one of the best of mm. the 80s. It's probably... Roger Moore's third best after Carly Simon and Live and Let Die.
0: Just as a as a point of reference, uh, Paul, you had mentioned before that if you were ranking them, you would have put Live and Let Die in the in the top five. I had at one point. I have no idea where this CD is, but for I had it came out nineteen. It was the fortieth anniversary. It must have come out in two thousand two, and it was the it was a thirty years of Bond themes, and it had everything from Doctor No up through License to Kill. It didn't have anything from the 90s on it because uh, of when it was released. And instead of putting them in chronological order, like every other collection I have of James Bond music, it put them in, it, just like a, it, it almost seemed like they put them in a random order. But the first songs on, the first five, were James Bond theme, Goldfinger, Live and Let Die, Nobody Does It Better, and A View to a Kill. So I think, the, you know, I, I think the, the time has proven out the popularity of those songs and those ones that were successful outside of it. The, I mean, A View to a Kill is the most successful, um, or it was at the time. I'm not sure if Skyfall will eventually beat it. But, I mean, this reached number one in the U.S. Billboard 100. It reached number two in the United Kingdom, number one in Canada, number one in Sweden, number one in Brazil, number two in Ireland, number one in Austria, number one in Spain you know that this this was a major major hit all over the world you know and uh so it's uh it it, it like you said it, even 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 diehard anti-duran-duran fans like andy leyland noted <laughs> yeah. podcaster from the north uh, enjoy this song so yeah <laughs>
3: <That but true. laughs>
2: yeah it's it, it it just quite captured the feel and i think that's the best uh, compliment I can give it, you know, that so that it, it transcended the band.
0: Yeah. So in
2: 1987, Roger Moore was out, Timothy Dalton came in, and The Living Daylights was released. <laughs> trying to recreate A View to a Kill. It's like, let's do it again. Let's bring in Aha. Mm -hmm. They have that great Take On Me song. (laughs) So, uh, they did the song, and it's almost like A View to a Kill light, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, It's okay. It's alright. It has a little bit of the Bond feel to it, but it's kind of, ultimately, one of the sins that some of the other songs have had. It's forgettable, as far Mm -hmm. as I'm concerned.
0: My first note was "Hello, Drum Machine." Uh, it's, <laughs> it's it's very '80s, but they I like that they mix in some of the woodwinds and horns, so it it, uh, it which has has kind of an odd mix with the electronic percussion mm-hmm. and the vocals. The vocal performance is very odd. I mean, but that's the way Aha, uh-huh, that's the way their their songs sound.
3: Oh, it's no, so, it whoa. sounds a bit. There's a bit of David oh. Bowie in it. Yeah. Oh, that's
0: uh, interesting.
2: Yeah, that there is a little of that.
0: It's it's not bad. This was the, the first one that I was... This is the first James Bond song I was aware of as being a James Bond song. The first James Bond film I remember seeing advertised on TV was The Living Daylights. So I, I, I always had kind of a soft spot for it because it's kind of a sing along chorus. And I like the... Uh, again, I do like the drum machine. And I like that the drum machine continues on even into the score of the film in certain sequences. But, yeah, it is it is kind of just trying to recapture the um, the, the 80s pop of, uh, of You to a Kill, and it, it's not as good. It does have some very uh, – in contrast to You to a Kill, it does have some nice lyrics. Not all of them are good, but, you know, uh, set my hopes up way too high, living's in the way we die. So that's that's an appropriate – set. You no, know, this is some appropriate lyrics at least for uh, – that That's for a Bond, Bond line. That is a Bond
3: yeah. line. <laughs> hmm um, oh, is it me? All right, okay. Um, it's all right, yeah. It, it's firmly in the category of fur to middling. It's not awful. It's not surely Moonraker, for your eyes only, all-time high, but it's not quite a view to a kill either. It, it's okay. And like Luke said, there's a lot of... It is a bit all over the place. Like I said, I hear a bit of David Bowie, and then it goes a bit high. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, a bit of a screech going on, but it's, it's not awful. And it does suit the the new direction that they were taking. Because I still think Timothy Dalton is incredibly underrated. Yeah. Um. And it, yeah, it's it's that's pretty much it. It's okay. It's nothing wrong yeah. with it. It's not great. It's not distinctly memorable, but it isn't unmemorable either. Yeah. Th- this is another one
0: that if this was
3: just a single
0: at AHA released, it would have not been, nobody would remember it now if we had talked about this with some of the other songs. If it wasn't associated with the James Bond franchise, nobody would really pay it much mind, I don't think.
3: Yeah. Okay,
1: moving on to
2: 1989 for Timothy Dalton's second and final James Bond movie, License to Kill. in Gladys Knight sends the pips to do this and I recently as we were getting ready to do this show I was looking over you know looking online for things about the songs and see you know get some factoids or whatever and I did find one thing where they said this was the they ranked them and said this was the worst
0: James Bond song
3: (laughs) they've not got to Madonna yet Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we at don't, the time don't though, we started yet <laughs> <laughs> at the time though oh my goodness <laughs>
2: I didn't think this was bad I think this is better than all-time high even from the songs we've had up to this point uh, I think it's okay uh you know you can almost hear her getting on that midnight train to Georgia <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would have I would have preferred midnight train to Georgia to be honest I mean Mike I have I have exactly four. Uh, Four notes. Slow, long, boring, no thank you. I have never liked this song. It it needs about a minute and a half chopped out of it. Uh, I'm I'm guessing they must have had some extra people that worked on the film, so they had to make it longer to the credits. This is, oh man, and... The music in this film is interesting because it kind of puts it in a kind of a puts a Latin spin on some of the traditional James Bond themes. But there's nothing even approaching Latin about this. If they had gotten something a little more upbeat or something a little more uh, engaging, it would have suited the film better. This this is a, I mean, a, there there are some unmemorable, forgettable songs on this list so far. This one is the first to me, outright failure. I I skip this one
3: every time. Mm. No questions. Yeah. I agree with Luke. This is just a failure. I mean, a I suppose. More than I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose it's because it's the film that it's associated with. I suppose it would work as a bland, middle-of-the-road, boring love song, maybe Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves kind of thing. I don't know. And I like Brian Adams for the most part. But this—it just doesn't suit the film. License to Kill is still one of the most brutal and violent in the James Bond canon. It is still the one where Bond is is pushed to his absolute limits because he quits, he goes rogue and goes vigilante, and they put Gladys Knight as the theme. And it's like—I no. think they were trying to
2: get—I think they were trying to get Shirley Bassey's feel again. I think that's what they were going for.
3: No, it's—it's it's well, it didn't work.
2: Yeah.
0: Like I said, I mean, th- this would have been a perfect opportunity, and, may- and maybe I'm again looking at it in in hindsight, and maybe I'm putting, um, maybe I'm overstating this. Maybe you know that if you could have gotten, especially in 1989, you could have gotten a Latin singer, you could have gotten Gloria Estefan or another Latina singer to give to you know get something a little more upbeat, because this is a fairly fast moving upbeat film, not upbeat from storyline, but as far as tempo.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very fast-paced movie.
0: Yeah, so I, I think something like this, which is just a slog, is just a poor uh, choice. But you know, and and again, this is one that you rarely hear outside of these James Bond playlists, and there's a reason for that, I think. Yeah, I, would yeah, I was I'm just rarely, gonna say, yeah. <laughs> So moving well, on Well there's
3: been a, there's been oh sorry just before we move on there has been a lot of bond themes being played both on TV and on the radio obviously with Spectre being released BBC Four just devoted a night to, to James Bond and performances around the BBC by different artists. Uh, this one didn't get played. Hmm. Weird that. <laughs> <laughs> so 1995
2: Pierce Brosnan came in as James Bond and Tina Turner was brought in to sing Goldeneye. I think has that slow burn that I've looked for in several of the other songs. Uh, The problem I have with it is it doesn't deliver. It it comes in with a slow burn, but it never really picks up and gets that Shirley Bassey Diamonds Are Forever Ending that I feel like it needs. Overall, I feel like it sets the tone, but I just think it needed to to crescendo more than it did. But I think it's a good tune overall, as a James Bond song. It's not one that I would play independent of it. Yeah.
0: Uh, much like the film, this tries to be 60s and 90s at the same time, and uh, and I, I think she does a pretty good job with it because it does have kind of that classic sound, but there's a lot of modern production and a lot of modern touches with it. Uh, def- the, the, the series was definitely back with this song. You know, this was a huge deal. I remember the hype for GoldenEye being just here in the, uh, you know, as a, as a kid in high school, just it being insane, the amount of stuff getting here in the States. I'm sure it was worse uh, for you over uh, across the pond, Andy. But uh, so it, it's, it's, it's definitely the song that they would have wanted for this film this, to, to kind of recapture the magic of the, the 60s Connery Bonds. That's what I think they were shooting for. And I think you're right, Paul, it was definitely an attempt to be Shirley Bassey once again. Um, And, you know, Gina Turner's voice is up to it. I think that it's just lacking that last oomph, like you said. It's got a good build-up and a good build-up, but it really needs to kind of pick that tempo up like the very end of Goldfinger and ramp things up to get you into it.
3: Yeah, the GoldenEye... I still think GoldenEye is still Pierce Brosnan's best one, and I think it's the only one that holds up from start to finish. It is... I'd never thought of it like that, but Luke hit the nail squirrely on the head it's trying to be 60s and it's trying to be 90s and for the most part it pulls it off uh, this was written by Bono and The Edge so I do wonder why you two didn't actually perform it as well but whatever Tina well, because Turner you need, because you need to get a female voice yeah if you they, I mean, yeah. they wanted a Shirley Basti feeling who better in at that time than Tina Turner I think she does okay with it I mean yeah it doesn't have the oh dear we've hit that note that makes me faint at the end but I, I, I like this one I like bum bum bump bum. I like the beginning I like the end I think it's weaved well it it does a good job of saying Bond is back not as good as the marketing campaign which was just fantastic which was I don't know if you got the same post as we did but all it was was a picture of Pierce Brosnan in like I said earlier on the tux and the gun and all it said was you know the name you know mm-hmm. the number and that was just brilliant marketing campaign yeah. and yeah this one got a lot of airplay because he was back for the first time after six years I think it's all right. It does what it's supposed to do. It does the job. It's not awful, and it was a sizable hit. Mm-hmm. So it brought the franchise back, both in the in the picture house and in the in on the radio. So it did the job. Yeah, it's 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 not one again. It's not one that I'd ever skip. And yeah, that, that to me is kind of
0: the the you know the the line in the sand, so to speak. It's like it's not it's not one of the best ones, but it's certainly it's certainly better than a lot of the other ones that we had gotten over the previous. Know, the tail end of the the first phase of the series.
3: I think after after License to Kill as well, it felt like a Bond theme. I think yeah. I, I always think that's important.
0: Yeah, and and especially considering the last piece of music that we hear in License to Kill is not even License to Kill. It's If I Asked You To, which is yeah. in a sense even less appropriate, <laughs> even even less memorable as yeah. well. So this one is like okay, well this you know it's it's not it's not Goldfinger, but what is? So it's no Jaws, but we're ready to go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we moved on. In 1997, they released Tomorrow Never Dies. They decided to go again with the female flavor of the month, and they brought in Cheryl Crow. Now, this one, I feel like it—it it hits the highs and the lows at the same time. Some of the orchestration has that bombastic feel that I'm looking for from a Bond theme, but the vocals, I think, are awful. They're whiny. They—they just there's nothing about them that redeems them, as far as I'm concerned this this one goes very low on my ranking because it's it's to me like i said the, the vocals sound whiny and it almost makes it a little painful to listen to so i i don't really care
0: for this one. yeah the production on this is kind of muddy it's all the instruments kind of fall onto each other and the vocals and everything seems kind of jumbled up a little bit uh and yeah I, I've never really been a huge fan of Cheryl Crow. I mean, she some of her radio songs are singable and all that, but I've never kind of bought into it. I guess I don't I don't get it, so to speak. Eh, yeah, I I don't think I remembered this ten seconds after it finished when I saw this in the theater. You know, it's uh, and and some of the lyrics, I mean, at one point she actually sings "Martinis, Girls, and Guns." That seems kind of obvious in a James <laughs> Bond <Jean-Spot> song. <laughs> it's like, why don't you just add tuxedo and fast car in there, and we'll be you know we'll be good to go. Yeah, I don't know. It, it doesn't it doesn't do much for me. This is one of the it's ve- it's very forgettable. I mean, I remember seeing Tomorrow Never Dies in the theater. I remember liking it quite a bit and I still do like the film. This doesn't really add into my enjoyment in any way. It's just kind of there.
3: Uh, I, I quite like a lot of this. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yes. don't, like, don't
0: apologize for it. I mean, you, like it, you if you like it, you like it. I mean, yeah, I like Boonraker uh, for the love of God.
3: So. <laughs> <laughs> I like Cheryl it, Crow's it's first okay,
2: album. You're allowed to have bad taste, don't worry.
3: I'm allowed to have bad taste, yeah. uh, I like Cheryl Crow's first album, Choosing Morning Music Club. I like that a great deal. Um, I don't think she necessarily brings anything to it that any... Any other number of singers couldn't have brought to it. But I like the guitar in it. I like the little dingly-jangly guitar bit in this. And I think that's quite good. And, yeah, the lyrics are a bit obvious. Martin Martini's Girls and Guns, it's Murder and Our Love of Fur. It's And especially when you consider Tomorrow Never Dies wasn't even supposed to be the title of the film. It's a printing error. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I suppose she does a good enough job, as can be expected with that. It's... Uh, I, I think it's alright. I think it's okay. I think we're distinctly into the era now of it's okay, it doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. And, as, and as we've had quite a few that outright sucked, this yeah. one was alright. So, yeah, I don't mind it. I, tomorrow Never Dies is, is brilliant for its first half. It's really good for the first half. Again, it's another one that falls apart at the end. It's it's Tomorrow Never Dies is is very much the Hey, remember the
0: spy who loved me? Let's do that again. <laughs> let's do that again. Yeah. yeah. And but it's okay if you're going to I mean if you're going to pick one of the films to rip off over and over, that's a good choice. <laughs>
3: yeah, well, The Spy Who Loved Me was a greatest hits collection, let's Oh,
0: yes. Be honest. Oh, totally, totally. What's funny about Tomorrow Never Dies is just some of the details. That match up, the one that uh, spoilers for a film that's, you know, 20 years old, but the the one that always made me laugh in The Spy Who Loved Me. Bond kills Stromberg and then has to go and fight Jaws right mm. in Tomorrow Never Dies he kills Carver and then has to go fight Mr. Stamper yeah they killed the henchman after they killed the main bad guy right because the main bad guy is not a physical threat but the henchman is a huge threat
3: yeah Jonathan the- Rhys, brilliant actor he's not
0: a James Bond villain and they also missed a great thing by not having Jonathan Price drive an Infinity. At that time, he was the Infinity guy. That was, he did all the commercials for Infinity. Just have him roll up in a big J45 or something. Man, that would have been good. But I guess you can't have a Japanese car in a, in a James Bond film in the 90s. That's just not gonna work.
3: <laughs> we have
0: BMWs. Yeah but that's still not japan i guess uh, you know germany is one thing japan might be a bridge too far but <laughs> <laughs> oh, not anymore no not anymore now he'd roll up there in like a fiat and we'd all be cool with it it wouldn't yeah. be a joke like it was in um uh only yeah or little citron right The little citron yeah i do like that but that's again we're getting off topic
2: here. <laughs> <laughs> okay so in 1999 we got the world is not enough yeah. garbage and i really don't have much on this one i've not much thought on this one to be honest with you it's not even notes. Eh, i don't know it's okay it's really nothing about this one that stands out to me it's i'm not really familiar with garbage to speak of i think that could be taken out of context but, <laughs> uh swarms all right it's it's one that yeah, you know, it's it's better than Tomorrow Never Dies, as far as I'm concerned. But it's not a classic in any stretch of the imagination. It's just okay. I don't know if Gar- Garbage had any any particularly big hits. Their
0: their biggest hit was Stupid Girl, which you'd probably recognize if you heard it. Stupid Girl. Uh, only,
3: only happy when it rains was a
0: only big ha- hit as well. Only happy when it rains is the other one. Yeah. yeah. Um, Unfortunately for
2: me, they pretty much stopped making new music in nineteen. 19- <laughs>
0: You know, Paul, you had mentioned back in, in Live and Let Die that this was the first one you saw kind of on your own with your friends. Or that Living Let Die was not not The World's Not Enough. The World is Not Enough is the first one I saw on my own with my friends. I had seen Goldeneye with my mom and my brother, and then Tomorrow Never Dies. I think I tagged along with my brother and his girlfriend when they went to go see it. The World Is Not Enough came out when I was in college, so this was the first one that I went and go saw, rounding up all my friends, piling into uh, my, my my buddy's giant Bonneville and going out to go see The World Is Not Enough. I really like this one. This is my favorite of the 90s themes. It's, uh, I, I like Garbage, I think, um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but she's got a great Shirley Manson? Shirley Manson has a, a great voice, she's got a great look. The, the lyrics make a lot more sense than they did the last time, the instrumentation is better, the production is better. This is one I really like. Now, I really like The World Is Not Enough as a film, and I understand that that puts me into something of a minority. Uh, as far as the, the brosnan films is concerned but this is a it's a good rocking one and i really like it i like the the kind of wah-wah on the guitars sometimes but then we mix it in with the or the full orchestral sound and it really got it really gets me going when i hear this one also i like that lyrically this one does include a lyric that is important to the film when she sings there's no point in living if you can't feel alive and that is introduced after that. So the, the, again, like we talked about with Goldfinger, it introduces something that is thematically important to the story. And so I really like this one. This one stayed on my, um, you know, my, my standard, uh, you know, I, I grew up, I went to college in the age of Winamp. So we had our, you know, your Winamp playlist that was your-
3: you know, <laughs> Yeah, Winamp.
0: Yeah. However many hundred songs you listen to every night when you were playing around, uh, on the internet or, or hanging out with your friends in your dorm room whatever this one was a staple of that and i still like this one it's one of my favorites great music video too where uh she gets turned into a, a fembot bomb to go blow up a concert very neat
3: uh, i love garbage i love i love shirley manson because what? she's uh she's a, a redheaded feisty Scot. is there a trend developing <laughs>
0: Something about nerds and redheads. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, uh, yeah, but she was Amy Pond before there was an Amy Pond. <laughs> uh, and uh, we had a couple of garbage albums because it is—it's kind of where I like. It's kind of what I like to listen to. She's, Shirley Manson's also an actress. She was in a couple episodes of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Mm. So if you want to check her out in them, you can do. I, so I like this one. I'm predisposed to liking this one because I like a bit of Shirley Manson and I like a bit of garbage. I think yeah, it's better than Tomorrow Never Dies. I would argue it's better than Goldeneye. As a mm-hmm. song. Yeah, and it I fits agree. perfectly into Garbage's oeuvre, which is a really posh word that I can never actually say. But it sounds good and makes me sound much smarter than I am. So, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. The World is Not Enough it is very schizophrenic as a film for me. Yeah. I can watch it and enjoy it. Is that the one with Denise Richards in, though? Yes, yeah. And, that,
0: okay. and that's the problem. That, that one point, oh, well, you know, Denise Richards is a Bond girl. It's like, no, Sophia Marceau is the Bond girl in that film. Denise Richards yeah. is there to be Denise Richards
3: and be stupid. Yeah, so. but let's, let's be honest, but, the but Bond films have a history. A yeah, but I understand she's a films, physicist. The Bond films have a history of casting beautiful women in science roles. Moonraker. Yeah. So it's, uh, I don't get that complaint Had Denise Richards been any kind of actress yeah, It wouldn't
0: have mattered But she because, isn't uh, It's also trendy to hate Denise Richards Because she yeah. was hot door for a long time And now it's like oh she's a, Why did we ever like her It's like go watch Wild Things
3: That's why yeah. you liked her Well watch, watch this She made yeah. a, a creditable stab at being Lara Croft in this movie mm-hmm. Yeah no, I, I,
2: I can't argue with anything you guys are saying and, and and you know, really need to save our venom for yeah for when we do it when Diana the day was released uh. <sighs> I think, first of all, they went to the well too late. You know, they, I think they said, oh, Madonna's big, let's go after her. And they yeah,
3: if you said that in 1988. Than they should have. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I think what they did, because Madonna's ego is probably bigger than can be controlled, is I think they told her, you know what, we want you to do a Bond song, do whatever you like. <laughs> and she got on auto tune and made the worst Bond song ever. So she oh, did. Yeah. You know, she did hit a superlative. She was the worst ever.
3: (laughs) If you're going to fail, fail spectacularly. This song is horrible.
2: In my opinion. In my humble opinion.
3: Oh, no, that's I, not your
0: opinion, Paul. That's fact. Yeah, yeah. The the, uh, the I, I mean, I, I, I don't even... I'm so flabbergasted. It, it's funny because it suits the film because there's so much technological fakery and not a lot of substance. So it's a lot like Die Another Day. Um, I also think that, you know, it, as much as we kind of poked fun at Lulu's uh, uh, lyrics in uh, The Man With The Golden Gun, this song contains the words Sigmund Freud analyzed this. And it's like, yeah, just yeah. done, I'm done. I'm, I am out, I'm just going to... And the problem is you can't even skip it because this the, the opening uh, sequence actually is the story of Bob yeah. getting tortured. So it's the visuals are very interesting, but the music is like, oh, God, why? Why? What did we do to deserve this?
2: As, as a general... In any way, because it's just masking real voices, and it sounds so phony, as, as you pointed out. Uh, and this is like auto tune on
0: steroids. Yeah, and it's not even—it's not even actual. It, there's only a little bit of actual music, and the music itself is the only part that's listenable. The strings, are dun 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 dun. But then there's so much sampling and digital, um, you know, wankery laid over it that it's—it's it's, oh, it's unlistenable. It really is. There, there there, might be some some good orchestration hidden amongst it, but I'm not going to search for the, the tiny bit of good in the sea of crap that is this song. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen.
2: Now Andy's going to chime in with, i rather like this.
3: <laughs> Piece of shit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's just, I can't say enough bad things about this. Now, I think Madonna has made some... You know some fairly decent pop songs over the years. I find her to be a detestable person. That's besides the point. Yeah. Uh, but she's made some fairly decent pop songs over the years. But this is absolute shit. I think that's the total description for it. But I'm sorry to have cut you off there,
0: Andy. But, no, but no, I'm done. You, why don't you listen to this?
3: <laughs> <for you> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm finished.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, this, I this is this is 2002, kind of a nutshell. So.
2: <laughs> so, at that point, Pierce Brosnan was done and Daniel Craig came in. So we're into the Daniel Craig era and Casino Royale was released in 2006. For this is you know my name by chris cornell mm-hmm. i am totally unfamiliar with chris cornell i don't know anything else he's done i like this song i think it yeah. set a good tone for the movie i think you know we, we got a more realistic gritty bond than we've seen in a long time in this movie and i think the song kind of fit that feel it, it's again it's another time of them saying this isn't your old bond we're going to change the feel up here a little bit uh i, I think the song kind of serves the purpose to, to bring this movie into the modern era of movies now there is somewhat of a loss of the fanciful field of bond that we've had in the past which i you know i, I lament that a little bit but i think it needed to age with the times and i think the song kind of reflects that
0: yeah um i'm, I'm familiar with chris cornell because i was a huge fan of his band soundgarden in yep. the 90s I came out of the seattle grunge scene although they predate
3: that by a little bit but at the time... Yeah, it's always, sorry 20 it's a li- always a little unfair to lump Soundgarden in with that lot, I think. I agree. Yeah, because they, they had released a couple
0: of albums. They had released Ultra Mega OK and Louder Than Love, and there was, I think, one other one before they released Bad Motorfinger. But Bad Motorfinger was the one that really got them noticed. And that Bad Motorfinger hit right at the same time as um, uh, Ten by Pearl Jam and, and Nevermind by Nirvana. So you know, uh, Rusty Cage was there, and then um, you know, Rusty Cage, Jesus Christ Pose, outshined. Those were their big hits in the '90s, the early '90s. But then at this time, Cornell had uh, Soundgarden had broken up, and Cornell was best known as the front man for the supergroup Audio Slave, and um, and a- another good band right there. So I like yeah. Cornell a lot. I've always been a fan. His voice is a good fit. He's got that kind of gravelly, uh, but still high, um, eye, like high range voice so i think it's a good fit for the tone of the film it's uh, a huge improvement obviously over die another day that's all i'll say about that it's it's very up my
3: bowel movement is a huge improvement yeah.
0: over die another day yeah no no kidding but anyway the it, it's up tempo for a very action heavy entry and it's definitely got that that real harder edge i think going to a male voice kind of changes it and changes i think the energy of the song and it suits what they were going with. I mean, Di- I mean, Casino Royale is such a masculine film, you know. There's not a lot of female energy for most of this film. It's it's all, uh, you know, just dudes and, and punching stuff and hair and all that. So uh, it also has some really good lyrics, I think. Um, I've seen Diamonds Cut Through Harder Men. I really like that one. And my favorite, the one that is the most, uh, you know, on the nose probably, but really suitably, uh, you know, for the subject the coldest blood runs through my veins you know my name Mm. so just a good good tune for a good for you know really just a solid solid entry
3: yeah i love this like luke i love chris carnell and i are going watching chris carnell in march he's Mm. doing his acoustic tour um yeah i like Soundgarden. i like audio sled this is my favorite after honor majesty's secret service I think it's just a good hard edge rock tune. I think Cornell's got a brilliant voice. I think I I kind of like that gravelly male grungy sound anyway, but I think Cornell's the better of them, um, mm-hmm. I think there's only really Eddie Vedder who can, who can challenge him and this is just brilliant, it's just great, it's accompanied by some great visuals of the playing cards it sums up the film perfectly but works independently of it and yeah, the, the lines about you know my name and this job will never fulfil you but it's all you've got, it's just brilliant it's an absolutely brilliant song it suits the film perfectly but works on its own and it's great love mm-hmm. it,
0: yeah I mean, it's it's like I said with the the coldest blood line. I mean, what's what's the most memorable? What's the line everybody remembers from this film? The bitch is dead. Mm. You know, so she's straight from the book, straight from the book. Exactly. So this is this is clearly not your father's James Bond. Nope. Except it is—it's your grandfather's James is. Bond because it's Ian yeah. Fleming, but you yeah. know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's—it's uh,
3: it's a brilliant—it's a brilliant new direction for the series that got a little bit bloated with *Die Another Day*, and Madonna's song was god awful. And I think they perhaps realised that. So, like the film, they just went stripped down. They just went for a stripped down rock song, and it works magnificently.
2: Following up *Casino Royale* in 2008, 2008 we got *Quantum of Solace*. Where the theme song was "Another Way to Die" by Jack White and Alicia Keys. Solace is a questionable movie in in many ways. Uh, When I first saw it, I did not care for it at all. And yet I found in rewatching, if I watch it back to back with Casino Royale, it works much better. The problem with the movie is it felt very disjointed. It felt like it was made for an MTV generation, quick cuts, let's not bother to focus on anything. Uh, the song itself to me I understand in again doing my research for this that it got a good critical reception from the world at large but a poor critical reception from Bond fans and I fall in with the latter I just don't care for the song I don't care for the, the vocals on it it really it's it's not as bad as "Die Another Day," but it's not a good song as far as I'm concerned.
0: Uh, I I think that "Another Way to Die" is perfectly matched with "Quantum of Solace" because both the song and the film are forgettable, jumbled, overlong, and semi-anonymous. Now, this is uh, this is a, this is an awful song. If if this is what critically acclaimed music looks like, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> I'm sorry. This, this this is this is this is unlistenable. I mean I made it through I mean Paul when we were talking earlier in the week and I said Oh I don't remember this song, the song to Quantum of Solace Apparently there's a reason why I don't remember the song <laughs> to Quantum of Solace
2: <laughs> but, but you know, it's not forgettable in the way some of the other songs we said were forgettable. This is one that's forgettable and you're kinda happy to forget.
0: Yeah, you're like, the oh, other
2: forgettable ones sometimes like if you hear them it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot that and it kinda brings a smile to your face. Not this <laughs> one.
0: Yeah. I, will, um, I won't turn off if All Time High is playing I won't turn it off <laughs> I won't, I might not care enough to get up and turn it off this one I have a stronger reaction
3: to <laughs> Um, I'm not going to quite go that far um, I'm kind of torn on it because I love Jack White and I love the White Stripes and I've seen them live and they were brilliant and there's Bits of it that almost catch fire. Bits of it, like the TV did. Yeah, when Andrew was watching it, the TV blew up when we weren't watching the White Stripes. So, wow. um, and it's, but it just it doesn't work, and I don't know why it doesn't exactly. work. Maybe it's it would that as well. Maybe it's the addition of Alicia Keys, who who is Flavor of the Month, compared to Jack White, who's in it for the long haul. I don't know. Maybe it's that Quantum of Solace was rushed into production to avoid the writer's strike. Like Paul says, it does work much better if you watch it back-to-back with Casino Royale. But the editing and the direction on it it is just so choppy. I mean, that opening scene with the, um, the Aston Martin chase is brilliant but it doesn't stay still on one image long enough for you to figure out what the hell's going on. Likewise, the chase immediately after the opening credit. And that's what Quantum of Solace feels like. It just feels like chase, 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 chase. Oh, let's stop a bit and explain the plot. Chase, chase, chase. Bit more plot, chase. And maybe that reflected in the song, which is all over the place and a bit of a mess.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not going to go up in the pantheon, put it that way.
3: No, well, it's it's largely been forgotten now already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, much like Quantum Solus, so you know. Yeah, go go and see Spectre before you fully decide whether Quantum no, of Solace has been forgotten. Oh, uh, and 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 that that's a fair point, but I think taken on its
0: own merits. There's a reason why Quantum of Solace was forgotten, and that film had a very troubled production. I don't lay it at the feet of the director or the screenwriters or anything. I think that film just, unfortunately, when it was being made, was a bad timing for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, the right, they, they tried to get it in to avoid the writer's strike. They still got hit with the writer's strike. The, the, I mean, they were writing stuff the day they were shooting it. That never works out well, especially on a film that is that large in scale. Uh, you know, it's 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 a hard road. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not blaming anyone. I'm saying it was it, it, that film had a tough lot to that it drew, and unfortunately, um, you know, it 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 suffers because of it. And the song is is no different, as far as I'm concerned. So
2: in 2012, we got Skyfall, and to sing that they brought in the flavor of the month, Adele. <laughs> This time, they hit it big again. This time, they got a song that was just, again, kind of that smoky feel that Adele brings to to her her voice. Uh, Very, very popular. Uh, Possibly a return to greatness that we haven't seen since since the 70s, I think, on on Bond songs. And... uh, I, I think this is routinely put in the you know in, in among the top fun songs that have come out I think it, 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 again it creates a, a feeling for the movie uh, it, it has this wistful feeling of nostalgia to it and I think that is exactly the feeling the movie brings out so I think it's it's a perfect marriage of the song and the music that song and the movie rather uh,
0: I really like this one a lot hmm hmm um what I what's interesting to me about this is that this is kind of stripped down. There's not a whole lot of production and, and uh, trickery and stuff on it. And for the most part, it's just strings, piano, and vocal. And but the film Skyfall itself, for all of its uh, you know, the, it, it I mean, it, it covers a lot of ground story-wise. But ultimately, that's fairly a stripped-down movie. It's about stripping down the, the, the artifice and getting to the core of things and where you come from and your history. And so I think, I think it's, it's a good match in that way. Adele's voice is, is wonderful. I mean, it's not really my scene musically, but man, you, it, it, she really belts it out and she really does a good job with it and just, can, just kind of lets it speak for itself. There's not this need to go in and improve it, quote unquote, improve it, or you know, um, put layers on top of it or try and produce it into a hit. It's the idea of, okay, well, let's just get some good music and uh, good lyrics and let a singer sing it, you know? And I, I really like this one. It's, it's, it's not one, again, that I play a lot just because it's not, um, not the normal type of music I listen to on a day-to-day basis, but I'm never going to turn it off and it always, it, 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 every time I hear it, it, it does bring me in and get me ready to watch Skyfall. And again, this is one that I think that the critical praise and awards that it was given, I think, are much more deserving than uh, sometimes you see songs that win record of the year and it's like, really? Whereas this one, it's like you see Adele carrying an armful of awards home, it's like, okay, yeah, that's a real song. I can, I can totally buy that.
3: Yeah, I don't have anything different to what you say. Adele's a brilliant singer. Again, like you, she's not really my my cup of tea, but that doesn't stop me from recognising that she is genuinely a good singer. And the fact that she eschews publicity and that whole media campaign stuff just makes me like her even more. Um, And yes, Skyfall. It's just a brilliant song. It's one of those that really nags at you and gets under your skin and you find yourself just listening to it and listening to it and listening to it. And then you find yourself humming it and it just comes to you at the most unusual of times. And it's just managed to creep into the, in that way that unassumingly good songs do. It's not instantly great. The first time you listened to it, you probably didn't think that's a good James Bond theme, but the more you listen to it, the more it just crawls under your skin. And ultimately, those are the ones that stand the test of time. And this is already, even though it's only three years old now, four years old uh, at this point, it's it's become a classic and it is good. It's genuinely good. It's a genuinely good song. Yeah, And, and I, I think what
0: you said, that it's not instantly recognized. Oh, that's a James Bond song. I think in a lot of ways, Skyfall, the movie is a lot like that. The, the parts of that film, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of your stand, not standard, but what you would come to expect from a Bond film as far as action and violence. But the parts of that film that really, really work are the quieter ones. And so I think that it, in, in a sense, it's it's a very good fit for that because it's the parts of this song that seem unlikely to fit for a Bond film are the ones that end up making it work. And yeah, this is, this is a good one. I had a, this was really great, again, to have an excuse to listen to this song again
2: yeah did, and this did this I think this won best best uh, song for the Academy Awards, didn't
0: it? I'm almost positive that it did. I know that she won it at the I know she won a bunch of awards at the Grammys.
2: And I think Luke, you you really hit it on the head when you said it's stripped down. it's it's really just this this is a song that ca- is carried on the strength of the vocals. This isn't the porn section. This isn't the music in the background. This is a very simple song and it's carried by the by the quality of of the artist. And to me, it makes it the anti Die Another Day. Mm-hmm. It's just the total opposite. It's, it's, there's no reliance on technology. There's no fakery going on. It is what it is, and it's beautiful.
0: Uh, yeah, and it, and it did, it, you were right, it did win the Academy Award for Best Original Song, was the first Bond theme to even get a nomination since For Your Eyes Only. And it's obviously the first one to win. Right.
2: All right. So as we're recording this, we are one week removed from the United States premiere of Spectre. Uh, I think we're two weeks from Great Britain. Uh, I've seen it. Lucas, uh, Andy has seen it. Luke is still uh, on board to to go see it. Uh, the song in this one is "Writings on the Wall" by Sam Smith. as we're sitting here recording this i've heard this song twice once as i was sitting in the movie theater and once watching it on youtube to, to get ready for today and i go back to eh <laughs> it doesn't really do anything for me the vocals seem off it seems like he's trying to hit notes that he shouldn't be trying to hit uh it it, it doesn't have that it it, it sounds like Sam Smith is trying to do skyfall and failing. That's kind of what I came out of it with.
0: yeah, I think it definitely is trying to be skyfall. It's trying to keep that stripped down sort of sound to it. I'm not familiar with Sam Smith, so this is my first knowing listening to his his music i' just if I've heard his other stuff i I'm not aware of it it's it's really atypical both in tone and and uh and the vocal sound i mean it's a vulnerable sounding male voice i don't remember the last time we had one of those you know in, in this and and we've been sitting here talking for two hours and 15 minutes and i can't even think of one off the top of my head so it's it's like i said it's very unusual in in that sense it, it's it's a motive i like the lyrics in it you new know, for for you i have to risk it all but I I just, I just didn't form, I can't form much of an opinion on it yet. It's until I see it in context. I think I'm going to be a little um, you know I, uh, I'm going to be behind the times a little bit here. But it's it's not bad. But it's not it's not Skyfall. It's not as good as uh, you know some of the um, some of the, the the better ones. But it's not doesn't reach the low points of some of the really poor ones either. So it's kind of in the middle of the road for me right now. I, I did like it when I listened to it, but. I don't know that I could right now start humming it and sing it either. So,
2: having only heard it twice, I feel like I'm being a little unfair trying to rank it or to critique it. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, some, some certain songs, as you hear them more and more, like I think Andy, you said it for Skyfall the first time you heard it, it didn't have the same resonance that it did that it does now. And that may be true for this song, or it may be the opposite. It may be that as I hear it more, I dislike it more. I'm not sure which. But as it stands, based on two listenings, I'm thinking middle of the road to slightly below that.
3: Uh, I think Luke's, what Luke just said, it's like Skyfall, but not as good. Pretty much sums up Spectre. Uh, So it's apt that the song should be the same as, as the film. The first time I heard it, I liked the strings and the orchestration more than I liked the singing. But again, I don't know much about Sam Smith. I know he's a big deal at the minute. It's certainly here he is, anyway. Um, when I heard it in the context of the film, I genuinely adored it. I think it worked magnificently with the film's opening graphics. And Anya, who, my daughter, who would be more the target audience for this, came home and listened to this six times in a row.
1: <laughs>
3: so it hit the mark with the audience that it's hitting the mark with. But she's, she's already got a crush on Daniel Craig, which I blame on her mum. <laughs> So that may have played a part in it. The more I listen to it, the more it does the the Skyfall thing of nagging at you and getting under your skin. It's it's too early to judge it. Like you say, the film's only been out at best two weeks, at worst a week. You can't really say where it's going to fall on that. I think it takes at least five years for something to be recognised as a classic, sometimes even ten. At I the moment, I'm fall- at the moment I'm falling on the side of really liking it because it is trying to be different while still trying to evoke Skyfall, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do next in terms of the theme, in terms of the films. You know, Daniel yeah. Craig is by no means a lock-in. Like Luke was saying, the critical reception in the US has been very different to the critical reception in the UK and around the rest of the world. I mean, it's not in any danger monetarily. It's made its money back, I think, before it opened in the US. So it's not in any danger financially. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do because of Daniel Craig's, and I'm I'm worried of ruining it for Luke, of Daniel Craig's, it is the most Connery esque, mm-hmm. while still having there's there's a little bit of honour, Majesty's Secret Service to it. There really is, mm-hmm. and, and whether they get Craig back, I think will will define where they go next. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do next.
0: Yeah, well, it's always um, interesting.
3: And and I and
0: part of me wonders if kind of the critical response to it in there, there's this meme that goes around in in. Online, I see it from a lot of folks online. It's like, well, you know, I don't know why we need the James Bond movies when the Jason Bourne movies do it so much better.
3: No, they don't. They do it and differently. They,
0: they do, do, it do it differently. It exactly, and that and that I think is the is the issue. Is when you try to make it into something that it's not, then you, you then, then you're chasing a trend. You're not you're not staying true to a franchise that's been strong for 40, 50 years now. So. I'm, I'm very eager to see it. I, I really do want to see uh, uh, Sky, um, um, uh, Spectre, excuse me. I'm, I'm a big fan of the old school Spectre from the books in the movies, so I'm very excited to see the film. And uh, like I said, I, I like this song when I heard it. I just need to listen to it a few more times, I think. The, the vulnerability of it really, to me, that picks up kind of a lot of the themes of Skyfall, where we see, you know, uh, not just Bond, but all the characters kind of taken down to be human. Mm.
3: Which is the film.
0: It right, exactly, film. exactly. And that, and that's what that, that's what Skyfall was all about, is like, yeah, the, these, these they're, they're larger than life on the big screen, but these are actual people. And so I thought that this the vulnerability that we hear in Writings on the Wall kind of continued that theme. So I'm if I'm, I'm hearing this, I'm going to go into Spectre expecting that sort of, um, uh, that type of film, that type of writing, and, and it sounds like a, it's going to be on point. So I, in that sense, I've got to consider it, at least on initial listen, uh, success. Mm-hmm.
3: You're going to have to let us know when you do eventually see it, what you think of it, because oh, I am yeah. keen to, to hear what you think. Because yeah. I'm I'm dancing around the raindrops here to not ruin it for you.
2: Yeah, I, and I and I I'm going to ruin that. it right now. I'm going to tell you everything that happens.
3: Oh!
0: <laughs> Chewbacca is <it's> Luke's father. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I think that wraps up our... Uh, our long play episode going through 53 years of James Bond songs. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. Thank you for joining us for, for this musical journey and Andy and Luke, thank you for joining me on this show that I've been wanting to do for quite some
3: time. No, it was, it was brilliant. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for asking us. I think the only thing we can be certain of is that James Bond will return.
0: Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander,
1: Soltech, said, soon others of your people will will be able to have an experience similar to this.